2: And I became He-Man, the most powerful man in the universe.
0: Welcome to Star Joe's Podcast, Episode 188, Dark Horse Star Wars, Part 1. I'm your host, Ryan.
2: And I'm Robert.
0: And welcome back, everyone. Yes, uh, we are recording this episode the day after the 40th anniversary of Star Wars, A New Hope, or as it was known back then, Star Wars. Um, uh, It's been 40 years since the the movie came out, and uh, we... Thought, you know, this would be a perfect time to do some episodes that are Star Wars focused. And since Dark Horse's run on Star Wars, as far as comics go, was has ended and Marvel has now taken the reins back over, uh, it's a good time to kind of view that long history that Dark Horse had the, t- the property because they did some really amazing comics during that time period. So, um my, my initial ambition, which thankfully Robert reined in a little bit, <laughs> was, yeah, let's do one episode where we cover all the stuff Dark Horse did. And then it was like, Robert's like, like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Robert's like, well, why don't we do parts? I was like, yeah, we could cover the first half, and then we can cover the second half. And then I started doing more research, and I was like, how about if we cover just like the first few years? <laughs>
2: So. Yeah, I was, as I was telling Ryan right before we started, uh, right when Dark Horse, the, at the, they, they were going to lose the rights. They couldn't sell anything from what they had published. They were losing their catalog as of like January 1st, whatever, two years ago, whatever that year was, that they they lost it. Yes. And so they put out a big special like digital download sale through their Dark Horse app. You can buy the entire catalog of every Star Wars title they had ever published. And it was, like, for 200 bucks or less or whatever it was. It was around there. And I jumped on it. I had some trades. I've never collected them in single issues. I had, you know, just over the conventions, I had bought up trades of Star Wars. But I was like, heck, yeah. So I jumped on it, got them. And it's cra- It's literally hundreds and hundreds of books. I yeah. mean, it's it, – so as Ryan was like, yeah, we're going to do this in an episode. I'm like, no, we're not. And then <laughs> – and then as he even started breaking it down, I'm like, this re- this is going to be a whole side series of Star Joes by the time you get through it all. But it seems much more likely we'll get through these than, say, reading all the
0: novels. Reading all the novels. Which, reading those done. So. Which I am currently reading uh, Thrawn by, by Timothy Zahn. Uh, oh, yeah. It, and it's really good so far. So it's like the whole origin awesome. of Thrawn. It's the one that now puts him back into continuity along with the you know Rebels cartoon and everything else. So. Right. Um, so, well, also, uh, I won't have him wait any longer, uh, <laughs> as, we're, as we're talking here. Um, also joining us, uh, for this episode is, he's been on the episode, uh, the show multiple times. Uh, definitely a huge Star Wars fan. I would say is probably the one guy that I know that could probably rival my fandom and po- possibly even beat it. <laughs> um, when it comes to Star Wars, as far as people I know, I know there's others out there that could probably rival it, but, um is uh, Mr. Eric Grubb. Uh, Eric, thanks for joining the show. Howdy, howdy, howdy.
1: No, there are plenty of people that could easily beat me. <laughs> <laughs> and ironically, I just finished reading Thrawn last week. Oh, so. nice, nice. So what I found interesting about that book, though, is not only is it really the origin of Thrawn, but it's also the origin of Governor Price, which
0: oh, if I you watch the Rebels cartoon, you'll understand. Yeah, which that animated show is fantastic, so... Um, it has its ups
1: and downs. Overall, yeah, well, cool,
0: but, yeah, every show does. So, but, but but when it has its ups, it has really good ups. Really good ups. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so Robert, first off, before we start delving into all the the Star Wars goodness, uh, what have you been up to? I know you've had some conventions and, and everything going on for you. So.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since I've been on, but the. Um uh, yeah, so I was at, uh, C2E2 up in Chicago, that convention that was really well done. It's the same people that run the New York Comic-Con show, so that was a lot of fun.
1: And also um, Celebration.
2: Yeah, yeah, so they, I mean, they've got the organization down. You know, <laughs> yeah, that's their, that's their business, so they've got that, but, um, that, so that was a good show, um, I'll be doing a couple shows in, uh this summer in june i'll be doing a massachusetts show in worcester massachusetts um that my sister elaine helps run and um that'll be like june 22nd and 23rd i believe in there and then two weeks later i'll be at a show in new jersey the new uh the garden state comic expo uh that's run by dave o'hara so he um I'll be out there two weeks later. So we're kind of going to do a whole big East coast family vacation in between the two.
1: Where, where is the garden state show? Do you know what town Uh,
0: is
2: it? I could look it up real quick. It's, it's outside of Newark, just West of Newark. It's
0: in New Jersey. Yeah, I know it's in New Jersey,
1: (laughs) but that's a difference between two hours from me to four hours from me. So yeah, let
0: me see real quick. Gotcha.
2: Anyway, so I've got those shows as far as work goes. Uh, the most recent, you know, like sequential work, interior comic work you can find is in the Hasbro Heroes uh, handbooks that have just come out or will be coming out the next few months. And I've got backup stories in those. I was in, a, I think, an annual what is a mask annual or okay. I don't know. I did like an eight page story in uh, one of the revolutionaries or like a mask. annual. I forget what I got, yeah. what, what it was put in, but.
0: I know so that doing... mask had a annual come out. I am behind on my star Joe's reading, unfortunately. So I, I'm working on catching up on everything right now. So I, I have not gotten up to the mask annual, so it might be in that one.
2: Yeah, I think it is. Um, so there's like an eight page backup story that I did in there and just a series of, uh, cover, uh, cover illustrations for IDW and Xenoscope And, um, It looks like I'll be doing some covers for Valiant coming up. So that's all keeping me busy.
0: Nice. And uh, do you want to break the news to our listeners who will be at a certain convention this fall, anticipating that they would be seeing all of the Star Joe's hosts at that convention? But evidently that's not going to (laughs) happen.
2: I don't know. You want to. Okay, we'll bring that up. So (laughs) I was completely anticipating and looking forward to being at um the baltimore comic-con this year uh as it turns out there is a show in edmonton alberta canada that invited me out as a guest um and uh, i agreed to it before realizing it was the exact same weekend as baltimore so um When I explained the situation to my wife, I no longer had a choice (laughs) between paying to go to a convention or getting paid to go to a convention. Um, I no longer had the option of going to Baltimore. (laughs) So that's kind of how that went down. He's
0: he's just using his wife as a scapegoat.
2: I am, and she gave me permission, and I'm going to take advantage of that.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I understand. Yeah, I'm still going I'm, I'm I'm to give you crap for it all the way up until the show. <laughs> uh, uh,
2: well, I hope that whatever get together you guys do, we can do some kind of Skype chat or something, and then oh, and, so now uh, we have to still hook up the night of. What
0: I said? Oh, so now we have to accommodate you.
2: <laughs> no, you don't have to. If you want to, we can. But if not, no, that means
1: you fine. have to get real Wi-Fi and not crappy hotel Wi-Fi. Yeah. yeah.
2: No, don't worry. Don't worry
0: about it. No. We'll, anyway, so we'll see so if I'll we be, can figure something out.
2: We'll yeah, if we can't, that's all right. But yeah, so I'm kind of bummed about that. But that's the story.
0: Yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah, you got to pay the bills, man. But yeah, yeah, screw your friends. It's all right.
2: <laughs> all right.
0: <laughs> got nothing but love for you, man. No, I I totally get it. I I do, it, and I know that like if if situation was different, there was nothing that was going to stop you from coming to the show or anything like that. But.
2: Yeah, just only money. That's right. right.
0: Hey, you, 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 got, you got kids to feed and a roof to put over your house and some, uh, ranch yeah. dressing to ranch dressing to steal. <laughs> right. Exactly.
2: That's that's my that's my daughter's gig. I, I have nothing to do with that. But man, you should see the hordes of ranch dressing she has at this point. <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, speaking of conventions uh, and leading into Star Wars, uh, Grub, you just recently, well, somewhat recently, went to and Star Wars. Months Cele- ago. Yeah, went to Star Wars Celebration.
1: Yeah, third one for me. Um, ironically enough, <laughs> as Robert was just saying good things about Reed Pop, dealing with C2E2, I have some pretty negative things to say about <laughs> Reed Pop and how they handle Celebration this time. Um, Interesting. I'm sure that everyone's probably like overall I had a really good time at celebration. However, Reed Pop really screwed the pooch the first day pretty badly. Um I'm sure people have heard the stories about the nightmares of the lines getting in at mm-hmm. least especially on Thursday because it's a 4-day show. It's Thursday, it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And they had literally one set of doors and two metal detectors to funnel seventy thousand people through. Oh my gosh! Wow. The line, and they opened the doors at five o'clock in the morning on Thursday. The line to get in, rather, and it was the where the doors that were funneling everyone through were at the far end of one of the, convent, the convention <laughs> the convention center in Orlando. Yeah. The side it, the side it was on. Instead of funneling people that were waiting to get in in front of the convention center down these massively wide sidewalks, they had everybody instead turn the other direction, going down a street in the dark with no sidewalk. Literally, people are standing in the street because they can see that or they're standing in the trees in the grass and you can't see anything. Wow. So I am amazed that nobody got hit by a car on that street. Wow. <laughs> uh, it was awful. Like it took, I mean, we rolled up, I think I rolled out of the ho- hotel. I don't know, probably four forty-five or so in the morning and then rolled over thinking, okay, five o'clock to open the doors. And you know, I know how this all works. I've done it before, but the, It was astounding. It probably took us an hour or so to get through the door. But anybody who basically showed up after about six o'clock or seven o'clock in the morning, I was hearing stories of people were not getting in until two o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Because because of the clusterfuck that was everyone getting in. Wow. Um, And on top of that, they also did the thing where... I understand that the overnight camping has started to become a part of the scene. I don't like it simply for the fact that there were the main stage for both the opening ceremony on Thursday and the with that was also the 40th anniversary panel and the, the last Jedi panel that was first thing Friday morning, if you did not camp out and basically get there by eight o'clock or nine o'clock the night before, you were not getting into those rooms. Oh, wow! I don't know. You know, in the past, I understand that. I mean, it's been, you know, Anaheim two years ago was crowded, but it wasn't like this. And Orlando in 2012, before that one, it was no problem. You know, you could get into whatever panel you wanted to pretty much unless you showed up like right before it was about to start. Maybe then you wouldn't get in. But just the overnight camping thing, in my opinion, needs to stop. It's just like it's my opinion, but it's ridiculous. Like I I'm not in a position and along with a lot of other people are not in a position to be able to do that. Yeah. And I understand that the more hardcore fine oh we should you should have been able to do it. I could not my wife, my kid, and my mom were there. Guess who was the only one that wasn't sick? me. everyone else yeah. was sick. It's not like I had an option about going to sleep on the on the uh in the you know whatever I just I don't like the direction that this is going where. You know, I know it's been a thing in San Diego for a while. I'm sure it's becoming a bigger thing in other conventions, like I'm sure New York and probably C2E2 and some of these really, you know, Dragon Con, some of these really, really big con- shows that have panels that people really, really want to see. I think they need to do something, and I think they need to stop now um, before it becomes even more ridiculous. Because from my understanding, with the, the folks overnight from Wednesday night into Thursday morning, they were told that you couldn't line up until 8 o'clock at night on Wednesday night. If you wanted to camp overnight in the, 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 the queuing room. Well, apparently what happened was that they just opened the doors at eight o'clock. And so people who just walked up, you know, there had already been people waiting in line for hours at the five o'clock that afternoon. People were already starting to line up. So you had hundreds of people that were already lined up. They opened the doors at eight o'clock and people just ran. So there were literally people I knew who were some of the, probably the first two, 300 people in line. And they couldn't, same thing. They didn't get into the main panel because so many people ran past them and got into the queue lines in front before they did. Oh, wow. It's like, I don't know if that's the convention center and I, or I don't know if that's Reed. My guess is it's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. Yeah. Friday, they learned their lesson. They opened up another section of doors. It wasn't nearly as bad. Saturday, same thing. Wasn't as bad. Sunday was, but that Thursday was just atrocious. Like, you if you left the floor, it was going to take you hours to get back in. Yeah. Like, if you literally walked out of the floor to go to the bathroom, you know, right. or something, you know, to go to one of the other rooms or a panel, you were screwed. Uh-huh.
2: Um, well, I remember the, the exact well, not the exact same thing, but near same thing happened the first year of New York Comic Con because. They had no idea what to expect. Like they're smooth at running a show, but you know, when they're, when they don't know what to expect, and I'm sure any conventions like this, they have to problem solve on the spot and they have to recognize that there's an issue and the best shows roll with it and can fix the issue throughout the show. And you don't have to wait until like the next year for it to be better. But like in New York, they. They had only booked enough of the hall to allow maybe 30,000 people in. And there was like literally that uh, many people and more in line, you know, waiting to get in. And they're like, oh, my gosh, the fire marshals were kicking people out. Like like Frank Miller went out to grab a sandwich and wasn't allowed back in the convention center. Jeez. Oh, so like, it was I, just like.
1: I could understand if this was the first one. This is Reed Pop's like fifth. Yeah, exactly. Celebration. So, they yeah. should know better.
2: They should definitely know better, and it's different than a comic convention. They run other conventions. They run like boating shows and all kind. I mean, that's their business. Is they run yeah. conventions, but this celebration is different than anything else. It's not a regular comic show. It's not. I mean, they're they've got to recognize that the, the fans are different. They're willing to do go above and it's, beyond. It's one you know? fandom.
1: As opposed yeah. to like New York, you're, you know, I've always said this about like Celebration is a great, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's a great experience because everybody there is a Star Wars fan. They might have a different focus. They might be a comics guy or a toy guy or a movie guy or whatever. But ultimately, you're there because of Star Wars. You're not, it's not a thousand, right. a thousand right. fans for a thousand different people, which is not a problem either. But um, that and the other major complaint I have is Tops because Tops was in charge of the autograph hall. Yeah. And tops, I know they're new to this game. I give them some slack on that. But they, they were completely disorganized. Um, they did their, a lot of their people didn't know, didn't have information to tell people where or what to do. Um, the photo, the photo ops were just like, it, it like, I don't know how anybody got their photo ops because it was like they scheduled these guys for like 15 minute things. And there would be literally thousands of people crushed into one little corner with no sense of line control trying to get to their photos. And nobody's really knowing what's going on. They got a little better as the weekend went on. But there were a lot of people that were really, really mad at tops because of just how disorganized they were and how unhelpful they were. And just the complete like, what the hell's going on with these guys? Yeah. Um, it it used to be official picks who used to run the autograph hall, and they were, I mean, I know a lot of people have a lot about they say about official picks, but I never had problems with them because you could also official picks also had the ability to you could drop stuff off to them and they would get it signed for you. Mm. You didn't have to necessarily wait in the lines. All wow, the time. that's nice. Um, but that's also what official picks does as a business. So I mean, they're just autograph yeah. folks. That's it. But yeah, uh, outside of that, I had a great time. Um, my wife was there. Uh, you know, my little boy was there. His best moment was, uh, uh, the March of the droids. Like at one point, I don't remember what day it was, but, but all the, all the droid builders were moving their R2 units and whatever units, mouse droids, all kinds of, there were a couple of BB eights from the droid room to, I think for a photo shoot on the floor somewhere. And he just like, eh, 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 cause he loves R2 and he loves BB eight. Nice. So he was, he was sitting there just like freaking out, pointing at everything and clapping. So I was like, Yay. Um, uh, but, uh, it just, you know, and it was also weird for me this time around too, because I was basically spent most of my time in the autograph hall autograph, getting autographs from, from folks, which is something I've not done. Like I had the opportunity to get into the main overflow for both, the op- for both the opening ceremony and the for- and the last Jedi ceremony. But I turned them down because, you know, I was like, I got autographs to get. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> And I also unfortunately had the opportunity to be uh, Taylor Gray's helper monkey, the guy who plays Ezra from Rebels. Like basically oh, the dude sits next to him, and you know you know deals with that kind of stuff. But same thing, I had to get freaking an autograph, so I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but like you know, for I mean it was great because for me the um, first Thursday, first thing I did when I got in was I like, went over and got in Dennis Lawson's autograph line because because. Den- they had divided it up until if you've got Section A, Section B on, on this day, like your tickets were for specific days and specific groups, and that's when you were supposed to come. Um, I was, I think, third person in line for Dennis Lawson, and Dennis Lawson is Wedge. The man has never done a convention in the States, period, ever. Wow. He does not do many in the U.K. or Europe or anywhere else either. He just doesn't. He's never really, you know... Um, but the look on his face when he came out and the line that is hundreds of people waiting for him, you could just see the, oh, my God, like, this is amazing kind of look. Yeah. And he was super, super cool. And I'm like, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about now because that's being my favorite. Character.
0: Yeah, your favorite. Yeah.
1: Um, but the other thing is I also happen to know uh, Kevin Lyle, who is um, was Dennis's agent. And I, so Thursday night, I was sitting at at a bar in the hotel, and I was talking to Kevin. And he was like, he was giving me the story of the work. It took him six months to be able to first off get a hold of Dennis, of um, uh, track a little bit. You know, he would get a guy's number, call him, who would have a little bit of information, call the next guy, have a little more, so forth, so on. And um, it was, he said. Basically, Dennis was completely overwhelmed and shocked at just how how much people loved him and how much they wanted to meet him and all these things. He just he never knew, like he knew it existed, but he never understood. Yeah. And now apparently he wants to start doing more shows because of his his uh, oh, that's cool. experience in Celebration, and it was awesome because he's like, I mean, they're not talking like they're not they're not going to bring him in for like everything, but sure. they're going to do you know, I don't know. He said maybe five to 10 shows a year in the States is what they were looking at. That's awesome because he doesn't want to be the guy that <laughs> is, you know, Oh, look, look, uh, you know, look, here's uh, Tim Rose again. in every other show. Right? You know,
0: yeah. He uh, doesn't want to be that. But then at the same time, he doesn't want to be so closed off that he's like that people are like, Oh, he never does anything, you know? So, yeah.
1: And the funny thing is it's also because for those who don't know, Ewan McGregor is Dennis Lawson's nephew. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, my son is named after Ewan McGregor because I love him as an actor. So, but it—it it, uh, apparently Ewan wants to do shows like Celebration. But nobody, nobody's asking him to come over and do it. Oh wow! Like, are you freaking kidding me?
2: You and McGregor, man. Just well, like, they probably just assume he's not. You know that he wouldn't
1: do it; that he's not interested. But well, he's because he's had some things in the past where he he did a couple of type shows in the past, and he didn't really have great experiences. And, and I think enough time's gone by, and I think he's really come to the realization that, you know. Uh, like uh, yeah, I'm like so I'm a huge fan of Ewan's acting work. Like I love Train Spotting. I had just seen Train Spotting Two, right? I mean, like like the the day before I flew down to Orlando. Um, so it's to me, it's I was just like, holy crap! You would you would get so many people that would just want his autograph because he's Ewan freaking McGregor.
0: Yeah. 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 In fact,
1: it's Obi Wan Kenobi the
0: <laughs> Which they so, got, which they got to like, bring him back and do an Obi Wan Kenobi movie. I mean, I that's... love that. I thought he was to me. He was the best part of the prequels. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, him him, him playing Obi Wan moved Obi Wan Kenobi higher up in my favorites character list. Because before that, it was like I loved Obi Wan, but it was he was still pretty low because he didn't really didn't do a lot. <laughs> I mean, he just kind of started things in motion and everything else. Where then later on, you have Ewan McGregor playing him, and, it, and it's like, it really fleshes the character out a lot more. Not, not
1: to mention, it's like, you can see, like, the way by the, by the time Revenge of the Sith gets to where it is, at the end, you can see that and McGregor's version of Obi-Wan is going to become Alec Oh, yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's great. So, anyway, um, but you know, I didn't, I also didn't really, like, my autographs for my thing It was Dennis Lawson on Thursday, Friday I had Riz Ahmed, the guy who played Bodhi Rook in, um, uh, Rogue One, and Jimmy V, who was taking over the R2-D2 duties from, uh,
0: for Kenny Baker. Yeah. So he'll
1: be, he was, he was uncredited in episode seven and even episode eight, probably episode nine. And then Saturday I had Forrest Whitaker, um, and Sunday was Alan Tudyk. So that was like my main focus for the autographs because yeah. I have an episode seven poster and a Rogue One poster that I've got signatures and stuff on. Um, the other funny thing was uh, Angus McGinnis, the guy who played the Gold Leader in the uh, in Star Wars and like Rogue One. Um, they had they had the wrong photo up as his backdrop for him. Oh, jeez. <laughs> his name was right, but it was one of the X-wing pilots. It wasn't. It wasn't actually him. Wow. <laughs> I was just like, how did they screw that one up? I mean, like right. I'm looking at it. and I'm like, that's the wrong photo. Oh. I and mean, when it's like, cause it's an X wing. And the guy's like, no, 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 that's him. I'm like, no, look at the engines in the background. Yeah. He's like, Oh crap. I was like, that's not a gold leader. Wow. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, I mean, and I didn't beyond on the autographs. I didn't really buy much about some stuff at the Disney store that they had there, which is another, they had a little stuffy walk and a, a name badge and some other things. But you know, I, I luckily with my collecting, it's, it tends to be specific, mostly the Lego and a few other things. Yeah. Um, but so many like <laughs> so many vendors having s- special exclusives and this that and with the legion with patch trading and swag trades and it's like oh my god I don't have time for all of this but like I didn't go to any panels this time around like in the last two it was all about panels like a panel, panel 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 yeah uh, but it was just a different experience this time around it's going to be interesting i'm I don't know where the next one's going to be, but they said 2019. They've already said it's going to be 2019. We already know that. Okay. I assume if it's, it'll, it'll probably be in the States. I assume it'll either be Orlando or Anaheim. I don't.
0: Yeah.
1: I don't know if they're going to bounce back and forth. Like some people, Oh, I've heard from certain people. It's going to be Anaheim. Oh, I've heard from some people. It's going to be Orlando. It's just like guys, nobody knows. No, (laughs)
0: um,
1: I would still like though know, this one was really crowded. I mean, they had I think the the numbers on Saturday were almost eighty thousand people. Wow, um, it's gotten enormous. Like I mean,
0: now but let me because I haven't looked this much into it. But the the Star Wars section of Disney that they are working on is going to come out in 2019. Star Wars, Star Wars Landing. Yeah. yeah, are is there going to be one in Anaheim, There's going to be one in Anaheim and
1: one in Orlando. Okay. And the Anaheim one's going to be in the actual Disneyland park itself. They, right. Uh, they're building a whole new section. I think it's 14 acres. Okay. The one in Orlando is going to be at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Yeah, I know that um, one, yeah. Which uh, they're also, that park, they're also putting Toy Story Land
0: in yep. that park as well. Yeah, so yeah the reason i the reason i was asking was because i was thinking if it was only going to be at one location then maybe that kind of helps dictate where it was going to be at because obviously they'd want but if it's going to be at both locations that still doesn't help to figure out which place they're going to have it at, yeah so. I,
1: I don't know i don't know if they're supposed to, supposed to ah, sorry as i stumble over my own tongue um I don't know if they're going to both open at the same time or yeah. if one's going to open before the other. Yeah. I would suspect whichever one is going is scheduled to open first is where it'll
0: be. Yeah. Um, well, I know the one in Orlando is supposed to be 2019. They're when? both supposed to be two. Yeah. Both supposed to be 2000. Yeah, I don't know when in 2019, but um, I think they said summer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, or later, like fall,
1: maybe. I don't know. Right. Who knows? But uh, as much as a Disney. Freakazoid as I am, the trust me, the you're already seeing like a lot. I mean, the construction is well underway, they've already got buildings under construction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think one, I don't remember if it was Disneyland or Orlando that um, had the they're already building like a the you can already see the frame of an ad at of some ad ads is going up. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I don't
0: know. You know, uh, it's one of those things too, like that that to open. I am so excited. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I, as a, I'm a Disney fan also, as you well know, Eric. Uh, and as much of a Disney fan and obviously much of a Star Wars fan as I am, I'm like so conflicted because I'm like, do I go down there the year it opens or do I wait intentionally till the next year to hopefully the crowd won't be as intense the next year? like in the case
1: of, if they open it in the summer yeah i would say avoid the hell out of that yeah. until maybe like early december yeah because usually if it's especially in orlando early december is a slower time for the yep. parks yeah uh, and it you know b- that's when I say might be a good time initially, but based upon cars land out in California, which is amazing. Even if you don't like the cars movies, the theming in cars land is unfreaking real. It is amazing. And now with the Pandora land having literally, I think was today, the, they officially opens tomorrow. Um, the detail in that is, even though I didn't really care about avatar, the movie was pretty, but whatever, From what the videos I've already watched and the previews and stuff, because like I, you know, I pay attention pretty hardcore to what's going on in the parks. Yeah. It, it looks unbelievable. Yeah. And that all that's done is everyone's going, holy cow, if they can do this with Avatar, which really nobody gives a crap about, (laughs) Star Wars land is going to be insane.
0: Yeah. Well, and the thing is too, I have my parents live down there. They're an hour from Orlando, so I have a place relatively close to the parks to to stay Um, so it's it's really not difficult for me to get down there and have a place to stay down there it's not going to be very costly for me so it's not even like a matter of like okay do I pick the right time cost wise because the cost is really going to be negligible for me
1: yeah, um, if you don't have to worry about the, the house. Like, the the wife and I are annual pass holders. So nice. when we go down, we don't have to worry about the ticket price, at least. Right, <laughs> so right. It's airfare and hotel, and right. usually we stay on properties. So we don't have to worry about taxis or nothing. Yeah, but yeah. Still. Yeah, like I've said in the past, if you're a Star Wars fan, you want to go to S- Celebration just for the experience. Yeah. Because um, well, just...
0: I, I want to go at least one time in the near future. So, um, so well depending... if it's back in out if it's back in Anaheim in
1: 2019, you know I grew up 20 minutes, yeah. or 20 30 minutes south, and we've got the house. It's where I we would stayed say, last time.
0: We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk for sure. So, <laughs> um, so all right. Uh, so before we get into the dark horse issues here, we did have one voicemail that came from our buddy Travis, uh, and I. T- <laughs> Based on the voicemail, I think he was sick when he called. <laughs> so, uh, so it sounds like he had nothing better to do with his time than to think of a question for us. So, uh, go ahead and play that for you guys. Um, just to let everyone know too what Travis is doing and kind of where this question's coming from is Travis is doing a, uh, a re-listen of Star Joe's. So he mm-hmm. has gone back to episode zero and has been working his way through. And I think he's up to, up in, he's in the seventies right now. Okay. So, um, I was like, God bless you. Cause I can't listen back to that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, all right. So here, here's his question. Hey guys. It's Travis. Sorry, uh, Uncle t Bag. Um, in my great
1: stuffy Joe's re-listen, I'm currently at episode 74. <clears> <laughs> you guys are talking about the chain of command of Joe and Transformers. And in Joe, you talked about some of the three obvious ones, General hall Duke and Flint. So my question is, where does Sergeant Slaughter fit? And do you consider, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, Sergeant Slaughter as part of the rank of G.I. Joe? Thanks, have a great episode, and, uh, bye. I I can give you an easy military answer for that. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because the the GI Joe's command structure is always messed up because like Duke is a first sergeant. He shouldn't be the overall commander of GI Joe. Yeah, exactly. Flint is a (laughs) warrant officer, technically outranks Duke. Right. But warrant officers are usually like specialists and it's a little bit different. But Sergeant Slaughter is a drill instructor. Yeah. Yeah. He he falls under, he still has to answer to officers and those above him, but he is, I, I guess, the main GI Joe trainer. Therefore, yeah. when it comes to training, he is in charge of all tra- aspects of training, unless an officer gets involved, which in theory shouldn't be happening. So.
0: That, I mean, yeah. that's pretty much how I view it too. So, I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's what I would do. That's what I mention. Now I'm curious where I felt like Stalker also had some kind of officer rank um yeah but, but is um you well, know offhand what his rank would have been
1: probably I mean, some sort of a sergeant or a, a high yeah. ranking like a high ranking listed but but like ace all the pilots are all officers right you know Ace yeah. slips uh not was it slipstream no this or slipstream is the vehicle um all those guys are would all be like i think ace was a captain so technically he ought to outrank almost every, you know, most of the Joes. <laughs> right. Most of the Joes, I believe, are basically like, you know, E4 and E5s. They're sergeants. They're specialists. So they're, they're, right. you know, they've been in the military for a little while, but they're still, you know, they'd be non-commissioned officers, but they wouldn't be, you know, they would still, the like the rank structure is so screwed up though. So it doesn't.
2: Yeah, and, it's it's you know. because it crosses all the various armed branches of the military that they they don't exactly equate, you know, you can't take a a captain in a in the navy isn't the same as a captain in the air force which isn't the no. same as a captain in the army. You know,
1: no, the, it, it's well, no, captain in the air force, captain in the army, captain in the marines all the same thing. Yeah. Captain in the navy is the equivalent of a colonel and all the others. Right. Um but like in theory, Kewell Hall and Hawk should be the commanding officers. Right. There should be, but no, they should answer to nobody other than whatever the Joint Chiefs of Staff or wh- however it would work. Right. Right. But outside of that, it clearly is like, <laughs> who the hell knows? And to answer <laughs> your
0: question, uh, Robert, uh, Stalker is a Sergeant Major. Oh, so no, that's, that's pretty high. You're not going to get much yeah. higher
2: than listed. I was going to say, I thought yeah. he was really high.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. He was, He's about as high as you can go as an enlisted guy. Yeah.
0: He's, his specialty is he is a ranger. So.
1: so technically, he actually outranks Duke.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because the first sergeant is, is like one step below that.
0: Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm fine with anyone that outranks Duke, so I'm all right with that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I you know. make the argument that as a mentor <laughs> and a leader, Duke is probably important because generally, your first sergeants or sergeant majors are guys who have been around a long time right? have a lot of experience. So, yeah. You would probably be listening to them, but it would still be outranked by a lot of people. You know, even Falcon is a freaking lieutenant. Oh yeah. <laughs> so technically, he outranks Flint. Right.
0: Right. <laughs>
2: um. But no. But nobody listens to that guy. No, so no right. one listens to Falcon. Come on. It's Don Johnson can't listen to Don Johnson.
0: <laughs> the cheap man's Flint. That's what he is. <laughs> I put a beret on. I'm just as cool. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, well. Travis, thank you for calling and leaving us a voicemail. I uh, hope you feel better by now because you were. Yeah, not... He got really sick for a while. Yeah. Seem like... yeah. Um, I know he's gotten some things taken care of, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's doing better. So, um, but thanks for the voicemail. Uh, and if anyone wants to call and leave us a voicemail, ask us any question at all about anything. Uh, it doesn't even have to be Star Joe's related. It could just be anything. Um, uh, the number is 440941Joes, 440941Joes. So, um, fair, I'll mention that early. But, uh, alright, so let's get into some uh, Dark Horse Star Wars here. Um, just to let everyone know what we're covering here, we're starting with uh, stories that started in 91, which is when Dark Horse took over. And then we're going to. Uh, 1995. So like the first, roughly first four years, uh, as far as titles starting in those years and everything. So, um, but the very first thing to really talk about is Dark Empire, um, which came out in 90, 91 to 92. And this is what basically had happened with this was, uh, it was originally planned to be published by Marvel Comics. Uh, it was, uh, but eventually it found its way as a Dark Horse project because, um, I found this really funny and I, and I was telling someone about this and they said that I'm pretty sure this person probably lost their job <laughs> was, uh, Tom Veach, uh, who wrote it, wrote Dark Empire said that, uh, there was a lot of people when he was, uh, trying to pitch it to Marvel and everything that they were thinking, you know, that, Star Wars has run its course and uh, there's really no more comics that are going to sell for it. And he even remembers somebody uh, in the comic industry telling him, you're crazy. Star Wars is dead. So (laughs) just hindsight's 2020, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not sure if that person still has their job anymore.
2: (laughs) Well, it's kind of, you know, what they come before it was the, the kind of classic Star Wars, right? I mean, the, the Al Williamson, you know, type stuff. And nobody had revitalized the property since then. So just like any major property, it has to go through a few iterations every once in a while to kind of modernize itself or adapt to the new readership. And this was the first attempt, I think, to try and do that with star Wars. So, Anytime, anytime something isn't selling or it's been abandoned for a little while, when somebody wants to resurrect it a bit, you know, there's, there's going to be blowback because it's not on anybody's mind at the moment. Yeah.
0: So uh, some of the things that I looked up about Dark Empire, uh, some behind-the-scenes things that I found really interesting. Uh, so one of the things was the original idea for Dark Empire revolved around the Empire using an imposter in Darth Vader's armor, uh, or a replica of it, uh, to use as a continuing symbol of fear to help uh, force uh, far-flung worlds into obedience. The concept was personally shot down by George Lucas himself. Uh, Instead, Lucas directed them to bring back the Emperor through cloning, Uh, and it's unclear if Lucas suggested the concept himself or if he merely approved the pitch when uh, Tom Veach changed the the original concept. Um, Additionally, uh, Dark Empire was originally set shortly after the Battle of Endor. What had happened was during the writing of the Thrawn Trilogy by Timothy Zahn, Timothy Zahn was asked to incorporate references and elements of from Dark Empire into his books since they were set chronologically later than the comic was going to be, but Zahn refused, and so Dark Empire was relocated to being set after Timothy Zahn's books with uh, minor dialogue and art changes to reflect the different time period, and then there was some references to Thrawn's trilogy were inserted into the text of Dark Empire's opening crawl, uh, because that's what they did, was the very opening of the comic it has a crawl just like the movie would have. So right. that's how they kind of made some references just to kind of set the scene of like, oh yeah, there's these Thrawn books and everything else, but nowhere else in the rest of Dark Empire are the, is anything referenced as far as Thrawn, uh, the Thrawn trilogy. And it wouldn't be until Kevin J. Anderson's Jedi Academy trilogy that the Dark Empire would first be referenced in a Star Wars novel. So originally Dark Empire okay. was supposed to be referenced in Timothy Zahn's books, but he said nope not doing that so
2: <laughs> that was probably a smart choice to be honest
0: yeah yeah it worked out i mean i don't know how if it would have been better the other way but i certainly like it the way it was done so
1: yeah um, considering all the cloning and stuff that was done in in thron trilogy
0: yeah that's... it kind of sets up dark empire pretty well right
1: yeah, it sets it up better than
0: yeah for sure Um, and then I actually have the first issue of dark empire right in front of me. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was written by, uh, Tom beach and the artist was cam Kennedy, which, so whenever someone asks me what my favorite star Wars comic is, uh, it, I always refer to dark empire, but I also tell people it might not be the best comic for everyone because I think the art itself, I personally love the art in it, but I don't think it's for everyone. Yeah. It's very stylized, um, the coloring and everything else. Like, I could see how it would throw some people off.
2: Well, it's it's definitely like art of its time, and it almost looks a little older. Yeah. You know, it looks almost like it's from the 70s in a way. Yeah. Um, the What I would say is that it, it's incredibly, like, Technically proficient, and I love the way that Cam Kennedy does the, like, any of the mech or the, the ships or whatever. And it's not a lot of, like, flat drop shadows. Instead of it being a, a lot of blacks, like, the whole book is watercolored. Yeah. And that watercoloring adds a certain, um, and that's what kind of makes it look kind of 70s ish. Yeah. Uh, and it also, uh, the color schemes, are then not what you would see in typical comics, certainly not today and even at the time in the late 80s early 90s like um, it's really the color palette is what makes this feel so so different yeah the the style of the line art I think you know like it, it is a bit stylized, but for the most part it fits within that era as far as um, it, it's very technically proficient. the storytelling's very solid and um, and I, I tend to like it it's, yeah. I, it's one of my favorites as well.
0: I will say too, like in reference to the art, um, like you were talking about the the mechs and everything else, the uh, metal you know ships and all that type of stuff. The, there's on the, in the first issue, I have gone to this two page spread, I don't know how many times, but yeah. there's a two page spread just like maybe four or five pages into it, where it's like AT-AT Walkers and oh, so Rebels good. battling each other and everything else, and every Time I look at it, I see something new I didn't see before. Because there'll be like a trooper behind something, or there's a ATST in the background, or uh, you see like even even though there's word balloons to (laughs) to show you where the Falcon is, you could totally miss seeing the Falcon because it's so tiny and in this huge massive battle that's happening. Um, Yeah, it's just
2: this this awesome like wreckage wrecked battlefield. That just looks like miserable to be to be in the middle of it but yeah. just awe inspiring too because everybody knows how big an adad is yeah. but then you see this like massive tank you know that is nearly almost equal in size I know there's some perspective involved but just like it's this huge like massive weapon that you would that we've never seen in the right. in the movies or anything but seems to fit right in along with all the other you know, techno- technology and all that stuff. So yeah. super fun, man! I love this.
0: And the cool thing is too with that perspective is then you, in the first issue that's when you have Luke Skywalker coming in as a uh, basic a Jedi Master and right uh, and he yeah. just takes down an At Walker by just like waving his hand at it and you're just then you realize how powerful Luke has become at this point.
2: Oh man! Like to me, that's one of the things I loved about it too, is because. We you see the growth of Luke in the original trilogy, um, but you just uh, you you especially in hindsight as we know like the strength of the Skywalkers like and attachment to the Force. This one when when I read through the Dark Empires, I just really loved Luke. I loved yeah. his you know, struggle with the you know finding out what the Force is all about. Uh, him coming out basically on top. You know what I mean? Like coming through that struggle. But that, those first shots where the adat walks up to him and just blasts him. Yeah. And he just takes it. He just like yeah. shrugs it off. Yeah. I'm like, dang. Yeah. like, he's just, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I absolutely love it. Cause he comes walking out and Han's like, Luke behind you. And yeah. then this adat walks up and just like, bam, bam. And we've seen how powerful these things are, you know, and it just like hits him in the back and he's just like, he just could care less. Oh man, I love it. And
0: already there's like hints of him because, again, probably a little bit because of the art and everything else, but also in some of the dialogue, you start seeing the signs of the dark side a little bit in him.
2: Well, I mean, he's wearing this long black cloak. You see it in his face, in his eyes. I mean, he's not smiling. He's not happy about anything. He's just so somber and serious and even angry a couple pages later about anything. So. You're like, as a Jedi, he shouldn't be so mad. Like, why are right. you so mad? You right. know, but.
0: <laughs> why so serious? Um, I know, exactly. <laughs> um, well, and the other thing that they did with the, uh, I think they continue some of it in the later issues, but the first issue, at the end of the first issue, they also, like, they recognize that it's been some time since people have read anything Star Wars and that the movies might not be fresh in people's minds. Because, unless you had the VHS tapes or something like that you really hadn't seen Star Wars since the theater um
2: yeah
0: you know so they wanted to really capture you know what was going on so the, the last couple pages of the first issue is kind of bringing you up to speed as to what has been happening up to this point yeah. Yeah. um so i thought that that was really cool also um and just the like i love number 1 also that the, the issue itself is got the, it's got the hard cardboard stock. So you knew this was a special issue that came out and the back of it. There's nothing on the back. There's no ads. It's just purple and it just says a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That's cool. So yeah. So if you pick up this issue when it came out in 91, like you would totally be like, Oh, I don't know what this is. I see Star Wars and it looks cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually what happened with Dark Empire was there had not been anything for Star Wars fans. Like, we were all living off of like role-playing games and, you know, older, you know, old books and old comics and everything else. This was the first like real continuation of the story. Um, and it came from a publisher that I think Dark Horse was relatively not well known until like, Star Wars really launched Dark Horse's notoriety and fame. Yeah,
2: at the at the time, Dark Horse was, I mean, strictly a licensed property type, uh, you know, comic company, kind of like IDW was when it first started as well. Yeah, you know, they were doing like the the Batman versus Predator and the Superman versus Aliens and Robocop versus Predator type crossover beat 'em up books, and um, then they landed Star Wars, which was huge. Yeah, and then. A few years after that, like Hellboy came out and they started to expand their kind of superhero line of X and Ghost and all this other stuff. Like it slowly became something besides licensed property. But Star Wars was it's bread and butter for a long, long time. So they definitely put lots of time and effort into them. They put, you know, really good creative uh, teams. And, you know, that was their flagship title for years.
0: Yeah. And uh, just like to mention also, um, uh, when it comes to Dark Empire, uh, the characters and events mentioned in the Holocron that was used in Dark Empire would later be uh, be the basis for Tales of the Jedi, which we're, we'll get into in a little bit. Yay! We're, we're not getting there yet. We're not going there I yet. Know. Um, <laughs> no, don't worry. We're going to get your input on Dark Empire. Uh, oh, I, also, I don't have much, so we're good. <laughs> but also, um, in uh, Vision of the Future, so remember, Timothy Zahn did not want to involve any references to Dark Empire at all. But when he did Vision of the Future, uh, a Vision of the Future book that he did, uh, there was a conversation that refers to events in Dark Empire with Luke mentioning the resurrected Emperor and Mara Jade retorting by saying, Uh, whatever. Personally, I'm not convinced it was actually him. So even then, Timothy Zahn was kind of like, yeah, that Dark Empire thing. Yeah, whatever. That wasn't the real emperor. (laughs) So, so, um, so I found that kind of interesting too, but.
2: Well, it's kind of, it fits either way because, um, you know, obviously we're going to kind of anything we're talking about here, we're going to spoil. So if, if yeah. this is something that you want to read on your own, you should read it before we get into major plot points. And I right. we're really going to break down every single one of these. Yeah.
0: But but this was a big the, one. This,
2: this was a huge deal. I remember when I read this and, you know, so Luke kind of feels the power of the force and like he's summoned almost. Yeah. You know, he, he feels the presence of a major force or a major Jedi or somebody who could wield the force. And so he he just kind of like floats up and disappears. You're like, what the? So but he leaves. And then um, what you realize is that he he finds the Empire and these huge, massive what they called world devastators. These massive engines of destruction. You know, not as big or monumental as a Death Star, more like planetary uh, super weapons. Um, they would just like blast an incredible force and smash down onto the planets and just literally pulverize them. Uh these huge you know, monolithic, you know, uh technological super weapons. So he sees these, he goes to like the command ship and he's kind of summoned in there and brought in and uh you know you hear or, or you read the emperor's words basically saying excellent you've come to me of your own free will and he's like you <laughs> yeah he's like i i knew it but i saw you die and they have this conversation where he's just like oh that was just another clone of myself like it's the power of the dark side basically yeah and uh and then he's just like and just starts talking to luke like he's his new apprentice like he just assumes hey you've come to me on your own free will you're here let me show you the ways of the, the dark side you know you're going to take up your father's uh destiny and then there's like two or three pages of Luke trying to decide what he wants to do. And then he kneels down and he says, Yes, my father's destiny is my own. And I was like, what? <laughs> like when I read that I was like so like confused and pissed off. And like I was like, what is what is happening to my childhood? Like I had, I was like, I could not believe it. I was rocked when that happened. Yeah. And uh and I was like What's, what's going on? Cause he was already dressed in black and he saw how angry he was. He saw how powerful he was. And then for him to kneel in front of the Emperor, especially after the whole scene in Return of the Jedi, where he, he comes through that trial and he's still pure. And you're like,
0: yes, yeah. you know
2: what I mean? You're rooting for him. And here you're like, what, what was all that? Yep. Was it a waste? You know what I mean? Like, oh my God. I was so confused as I read this. And, um, I was, but excited, you know, so that yeah. hooked me for the whole rest of that series. And then, um, I mean there are other major plot points throughout, but uh, you know, you you have Boba Fett appears to, you know, has been falling on and <laughs> catches him again. And, and he again he was like, What? You were dead. You know, it's just like so many uh people popping back and so um that's a really good sequence and a lot of fun. Ultimately, um one of the other cool things is like there's a page. I see. I, I only have the trade, so I'm not sure exactly what issue this was in. And I'm kind of breezing through this. So yeah, Ryan, yeah. if you want to interject or, or no, stop me, ahead. go ahead. I,
0: I only grabbed the first issue, and unfortunately, my collected edition is like not in reaching distance for me right now. Okay. But it's one of the. Yeah, I will say that, it's it is one of those uh, series that uh, they did a, a nice large hardcover edition of. I didn't. Oh yeah. I didn't collect trades and hardcovers back when they did it so i didn't know about it and right. now trying to find it if you can find it it's like multiple hundreds of dollars um this is something that marvel has not reprinted yet so i'm kind of hoping maybe they're going to do a nice hardcover yeah. i, I, I it or completely
2: something. imagine it. I, I can't imagine marvel not doing the money grab and and doing a, a long series of nice hardcover omnibus editions yeah. of this stuff yeah um, at any rate, so the, there was a couple moments there as you see Leia kind of reaching out for the force and there was this page that I absolutely loved of like, it's like Luke kind of ghosted in the background with his arm outstretched and there's like light kind of across his eyes and he just looks crazy menacing. Yeah. And, and he's like huge. And as his arm is outstretched, you see just a fleet of star destroyers like expanding out from his hands and beneath his cloak. So it's like, He's not obviously there in, in in person physically, but just the idea that through the force he's directing the empire, um, you know, in a way that like Thrawn recognizes the the emperor did, yep. you know, uh, to coordinate the forces and to add, give him that extra ability to, uh, to to take over their enemies and stuff like that. And that panel I remember really stood out to me as just embodying like how terrifying. Really it was, the Empire yeah. really was to be directed by the Emperor and somebody with that much force power, how they could direct whole fleets and whole, you know, just be multitasking on a, you know, crazy, uh, level.
1: Yeah.
2: Then, uh, you know, and, and there's no reason just to outright spoil the book for the sake of spoiling it, but just the arc of Luke in this is really well done. It, I think that the explanation of, you know, the, what, you know, bringing back the emperor yeah. seems like oh, we've already seen that and done that. Why couldn't you have just let that story die? But I think in this, they they actually do it well. You know, yeah, like they, they, do they it explain, very well. they explain it. It makes perfect sense that if the emperor built an entire clone army, how would he not have clone technology to back himself up? You know yeah. what I mean? Like he was too paranoid to lose power, to ever allow dying.
0: <laughs> and and, them... and Leia plays a, a big part in the story, and so they they she really does. they expand on the whole fact that they are siblings, and they kind of develop that more because other than them figuring out they were siblings in Return of the Jedi, you don't really see that relationship uh, build, right. and so that was really cool. The um, the cover art for these issues is
2: amazing. oh, they were all really well done. It like was. They're fully painted. They're yeah. done by Dave Dorman. Dave Dorman. Classic, classic yeah. Star Wars and G.I. Joe artist.
0: Yeah. And, uh, and this was my first exposure to him, like doing anything comic wise or anything like that. And my favorite cover from the series was, uh, the last issue, which was issue six, where you have Leia standing there holding a lightsaber and you have Luke fighting the clone emperor. With, they got their lightsabers out, and you got R two and three P O. But then you still have like a space battle going on behind them with explosions. It's just oh man, it's the covers are just amazing, and they it much like the movie posters uh for Star Wars. It's, but
2: yeah, it's very kind well, of Drew Struzan yeah, inspired.
0: They kind of tell their own story. Like you can almost tell a story just from seeing the movie posters. You can tell a whole story just from the covers of each of these issues. Yeah, so.
2: That's one thing about the trade is they don't collect all the covers inside, which I really wish. Uh, so it's like the one the cover I have is him kind of in the Vader esque, you know, yeah. outfit with the green saber, and then which the wrap around. Yeah, yeah, the wrap around back cover has all the other characters like movie, you know, inspired. Yeah. Uh, shots, but it's a good cover. But I wish I had all the covers in
0: here. don't yeah. so.
2: And you don't you don't see the breaks which is kind of nice. It reads as one continuous story without any kind of breaks, but I do wish I had like a cover gallery in the back or something.
0: Yeah. And they did, and Dark Horse did do a hardcover, uh, collected edition, which has Dark Empire, Dark Empire 2, and Empires End all collected together. Um, the thing I liked about it, but also didn't, didn't like about it was the thing I liked about it was a nice hardcover collection, but the thing I didn't (laughs) like about it is, was the size of a book. So in a way it was kind of right. neat because you could put it on a bookshelf next to all of your other Star Wars books and it would fit right in. The problem is it made all the pages smaller. So, right. so you lose some of the detail and everything else that you're hoping to, to, uh, to see when you're looking at the artwork and everything else. So, yeah.
1: um, I know on a real quick, I know yeah. Dave Dorman did a bunch of various prints of those covers.
0: Uh, um, yeah.
1: I don't know. I mean, they're probably not cheap on the secondary market, but uh, several of those covers are definitely like I have seen, seen him sell the prints before. So I know they're floating around out there. If if you're willing to pay for them or you can find them. Uh,
0: The one you could probably get cheap is the, uh, the issue number five, which is the naked clone emperor with his lightsaber in his hand. So (laughs) I I don't think that one, I don't think that one's going for
2: leftovers of that one. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I mean, I assume you've read Dark Empire. Um, but... I know, I don't think I've read the entirety of, I know I've read Dark Empire 2 and I know I've
1: read Empire's End, but the original Dark Empire kind of came out at a weird time because I was just getting into comics at that point and I didn't, I don't think I realized it existed until it was almost over. Okay. So I, you know, I, I know I've read some of it. I just, I don't. I don't remember how much of it, like I know the, the main story beats and, and a lot of, you know, the things that went on just because over time I've just learned them. And it, it's one of those things where like, I would like to go back and revisit it. Um, and to me, the thing that always stuck out was cams art Yeah. because it, it felt, it feels to me so radically different than anything I was used to yeah. at the time. yeah and it was very distinct, especially, yeah. like we, as we talked about, especially with anything mechanical. Yeah. Um, so, I, I don't know, I just, I, I don't really have a lot to say on it because I didn't read
0: it. Yeah. Well, and so. then, before we get too far into the, the comics and everything else, that kind of brings up a good um, question that we can touch on real briefly. Like, do you guys remember what your first Dark Horse Star Wars comic was that you read?
1: Cool. Oh, Tales of the Jedi number one.
0: Okay.
1: I know. Well, it may not have been the first one I read, but it's the first one I remember reading. Like, okay. I'm sure I read one of the Dark Empire ones at some point before yeah. that. But, I mean, that was, Tales of the Jedi was the comic store I was going to at the time. Um, when that started, caused me to say, hey, I want a box so gotcha. you can hold these for me. So, because I was really excited for that
0: one. Yeah. Robert, do you uh, remember?
2: Yeah, for me, it was it was this trade of Dark Empire. Okay, but I but I wouldn't have picked it up until maybe uh, ninety, you know, maybe ninety three or ninety four or something like that. Okay. Um, so I certainly didn't read it. It was as it was coming out. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I think hands down that's the first one I read. Then. I think, and that just really got me excited about the Star Wars comics, but I still, you know, I don't think I ever just collected them month to month. So it was, I would always yeah. wait for a trade to come out and I'd pick it up, even back then, which that seemed way more rare back then, but.
0: Yeah. I would say for me, it was, um, it was kind of similar to you, Robert. I, cause I started off not, well, the first thing I even found out that there was a an expanded universe for Star Wars was with the Timothy Zahn book. Um, and I, so I was reading, I read those and I didn't even know they were doing comics because I wasn't really heavy into comics at that time. I was just kind of dabbling in comics a little bit. Um, and it, I got heavy into comics in the mid nineties. So for me, the first dark horse comic that I read was a trade of dark empire and dark empire Two. Because I actually saw Dark Empire two, grabbed it, but I knew it was number two, so then I had to go search for number one, (laughs) and (laughs) I was like, I'm not reading two. I don't know what happened. Um, and I didn't fully understand trades at that time either, so I was just thinking this was another. This was just a collect. I didn't know it was a collection of issues. I just thought it was a story, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I thought it was like a what you know what would be an OGN today, so uh, or original graphic novel for those that don't know. Um, I was about to have to ask. <laughs> yeah, so, so I just thought it was a, you know, a story that was written and put, I didn't know it was actual issues. Um, and then I got, uh, the actual first issues that I bought were probably the, um, the, Bo- some of the Boba Fett one shots that came out. Oh, yeah. So those, were, and that also had Cam Kennedy artwork in it. So, uh, at least there was some consistency there for me. I was just like, oh, this guy draws everything Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, the first issue for me was, uh, I was trying to look was probably the Boba Fett, uh, uh, Bar-cuda, which we're going to talk about a little later. Um, that was the first actual issue I bought, but the first Star Wars Dark Horse thing I read was, uh, Dark Empire and Dark Empire 2. So, um, which is probably it probably plays into why it's my favorite is because it's one of those things the first yeah. thing you're exposed to becomes one of your favorites. So,
2: all right, um, when it comes when it comes to Dark Empire two, we can gloss over it. Like I'm not going to get into the story of it, but because yeah. uh, it feels like a, a solid continuation from the first one, it just picks right up and keeps going. Yeah. Um, there is a nice cover gallery in the back of the second trade, the one I have apparently. Yeah. Oh, I think I know. Okay, wait, no, wait I think I've got the cover of the one you were talking about now. Okay. So with Leia. And the yes. fight in the, in the bottom. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of um, yeah. So I mean, the story continues. To me, the second one isn't as strong because yeah. uh, the the revelations aren't as like mind blowing, you know. Um, because it is kind of more the same. The story just continues on, but yeah. um, but it's still, but it it creates for a solid like two huge trades of of awesome story. I don't think I've ever read the third installment, so. If you want to talk about what that was about, I don't even know.
0: Yeah, so Empire's End was just it was. It's also sometimes known as Dark Empire Three. Um, it was only two issues, so
2: okay, yeah.
0: I think, and I actually bought it as the two issues. Um, and later on, they traded it, and I was like, "Really, you traded two issues?" Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that came out in 1995. Now, with Dark Empire. that came out in 90 between 94 and 95 um one thing that a couple things i found interesting with that was number one in these kind of the publisher's summary they mentioned the new republic however in the actual story the new republic is not even mentioned as an existing uh thing they're still referred to as the rebel alliance uh so i thought that was uh interesting uh, and even though the Rebel Alliance had been disbanded for about seven years at this point. So, um, and then the other thing is that Anakin Solo was born in that miniseries. So, right. Uh, so that was pretty significant. Oh, very cool. Um, with Empire's End, uh, it was written by Tom Veach, uh, and also by, uh, writer Jim, uh, Bakey, Baki, B-A-I-K-I-E. Um, and it's just meant to kind of wrap everything up, which is why it was re- really just two issues. Um, I do love the first, the cover to the first issue for Empire's End. Um, it's just, again, you got the Dave Dorman art and everything else. Um, it's the, uh, the summary from the publisher was the Emperor Palpatine has a new weapon, one that, uh, can annihilate a planet, but he's not Targeting a planet, he's targeting the future of the Jedi, Leia's children, and it looks—it uh, looks like a hopeless situation for Luke Skywalker, who has a critical task of protecting the children. But it's not the first time Lucas found hope where none existed. The finale to Dark Empire trilogy is collected here. So, um, hmm. it was—I actually liked Empire's End, uh, but I think it's because it was so concise. You know, it's two issues to just yeah. kind of wrap things up. So. You had your first issue that left you with a cliffhanger moment, and then you it wrapped it up in the second issue. Um, but it definitely felt like by the time you read Empire's End, you definitely felt like okay, I need something else besides this Dark <laughs> Empire stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was. I, mean, I think even by the end of you know Dark Empire two, about halfway through. I felt a little burnt out on the story, yeah. you know, like it was like, ah, uh, you know, can not we wrap this up and yeah. have a different bad guy, you know, because it, yeah, because even as much as I liked that reveal and and bringing the emperor back, it kind of just felt like, all right, we're just retreading stuff we've already established and,
0: like, even if they wanted to
2: know, which is
0: yeah, even if they wanted to clone like Vader or something like that, at least some, it would have been something a little different. Uh, but yeah, I was just facing the the Emperor clones constantly. So, Yeah, Um, and it
2: was, I mean, because that's what also made the Thrawn trilogy so exciting, because it was a brand new villain that was not a Sith or a Jedi, but was just as capable and intimidating, and it just felt so new. Yeah. That's what was so awesome about it. So while, while this had, like, a great shock factor in the first trade, I felt like throughout, I was more impressed with the Thrawn stuff, because it was developing new expanded universe ideas instead of just constantly going back to the well of the, the trilogy, the same
0: characters and everything. Yeah. 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 And that's honestly, that's one of the things I really like with the force awakens movie is, yeah, you have the old characters, uh, to help make that bridge, but you are bridging to these new characters now. And, and I like the new characters just as much as I like the original characters, uh, for me personally. So, um, and so now to get into uh, I, this is definitely a favorite series of mine grub. I know it's a favorite series of yours. Um, the tales of the Jedi series that started in 93 and ran through to 98. Um, chronologically, I know this is not how they were published, the order they were published in, but chronologically it involves golden age of the Sith fall of the Sith empire Eula uh, Keldroma and the Beast of Onderon, the Saga of no- Nomi Sunrider, the Freedonad Uprising, Dark Lords of the Sith, the Sith War, and then Redemption. Um, so you could read them. in The nice thing with this was you could read them in the order they were released, and you could read them in the order of, of chron- uh, chronology and enjoy them either way.
1: Well, some of those were also... Like the, the Beast of Onderon and I think the Nomi Sunrider thing, that was just Tales of the Jedi. Yes. It wasn't like a subtitle. It wasn't like right. later with like free, I don't know if it's Freedom Nade or Freedom NAD. It was I don't know N-a- how it's actually pronounced, it's but it's
0: N-A-D-D. I've always pronounced it NAD, but it's yeah. so a
1: vibe, but yeah. I, I just, I don't know. Like I think I heard somebody say it Nade once. It's okay. like, eh, it could work.
0: Yeah. But like Freedom Mad
1: definitely had, it was the Tales of the Jedi, the Freedom NAD <laughs> yeah. uprising. You know, it wasn't, it was a very specific title. Yeah. And, and like the thing was...
0: that drove me nuts with that one, and they have collected it since then, and again, it's one of those things where the, the Freedom Ad Uprising was, if I remember right, was just two issues again. It um, was two
1: or three, wasn't it? Right?
0: Yeah. And they, the thing that drove me crazy was I did read the Tales of the Jedi in trades. In fact, I still have my original trades that, uh, that I had read them in. And... What drove me nuts was since the Friedenhead uprising was never traded back then, I would read these trades, and then I went from, you know, reading like you said, the tales of the Jedi, which was about Yoda, Keldroma and Nomi Sunrider, and then it went right to Dark Lords of the Sith, and I was like, wait, that feels like there's something missing in between these two stories. <laughs> And I did hunt down and find the two issues, the free net uprising. And this was before internet and everything else. So it wasn't like you just go online and go, okay, what am I missing? You know, you had to go talk to your comic shop owner and stuff. Like I'm missing some story here. And can you help me? <laughs> Give me your books. Right. Exactly. So um, yeah, that was, this was a series that I have
1: most of in single. I don't, I don't know if I have every issue of the tales of the Jedi, but I know I have most of them. Uh, and plus the omnibuses that came out later.
0: Yeah, I have the omnibuses. I have uh, the the individual trades. I am work. This is one that I am working on getting the individual issues of. I have some of them. I don't have all of them yet. So. Yeah. Plus, I also
1: Dave Dorman did a print of uh, the issue one of the uh, Freedom Ad Uprisings yeah. that I have. It's actually not on the wall. It's underneath the bed currently, but. Because I have like basically my third bedroom upstairs is my Dave Dorman room effectively. So nice. But yeah, I, I love the hell out of this series. And frankly, Tales of the Jedi ruined the prequel Jedi for me. Yeah. Because the Jedi and Tales are actually interesting. There's variety and they all, they all dress, they all dress the same. And you know, they're getting trained all over the place and you know, they can be married and have kids because that's how. Nomi Sunrider becomes a Jedi is her husband's a Jedi and it gets killed and then she takes it up. And yep. apparently, Hey, look, she's, you know, and she has a daughter, which ultimately deals with the redemption arc at the end of the series. Yep. yep. Um,
0: well, and then the thing, so here's the thing I also loved was, uh, at least with the way I was reading these, you know, again, we mentioned earlier, the dark empire, there was a holocron, which referenced some of these characters and, then you get to hear stories about them. And then I was also reading the novels, which would reference stuff from these comics as well. And there was definitely references to Nomi Sunrider and Hewlett Keldroma and XR, Kuhn XR and, yeah. and stuff like that. And you're just like, holy crap. Like, like that's what made it really exciting for me was I was like, I would read about this character in this book and then read about him in this comic and all these references and it, you really felt like these writers were working together to tell this universe. Uh, well, I, and, I think,
1: I, th- I think it also tells you the popularity of like both Ulic and K Keldroma, Nomi, XR and some of the other minor guys, just how popular those characters became. Oh yeah. You know, XR Kuhn was the first time I'd ever seen a dual wielding Jedi. Yep. And it was just cool. like, Holy crap. You could do that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Years and years before uh, Darth Maul ever did it.
1: <laughs> well, he's not even dual. Well, he like, he's not yeah. dual wielding. Yeah, he's just got he's got a, basically a staff. Yeah. Um, but just the I, you know, there's just and and not only that, but some of the, a lot of the mythology about the early Jedi and the early Sith and the idea of holocrons and and places like Korriban and yeah. all these Force ghosts and a lot of these things that everyone kind of eventually just took for granted is, well, that's, that's how these things are all originated with the tales of
0: the Jedi series. Yeah. You, and you learn really what the Sith were and <laughs> uh, they were actually race versus a, a religion. and Right. And then you had the Masasi temples and <laughs> like you really, it really, like you said, it really enriched all the mythology that you knew from the star Wars movies. And that's actually something Tom Beach did when he was writing this was he watched the original trilogy over and over and over again so that he could really fully understand the, the mythology that was created in those movies and help to expand upon it. He didn't want to just tell new stories with new characters, although obviously he did that very successfully. He wanted to tell these stories that would then enrich the movies that you already know um, by explaining some of this stuff. Like I love just the little simple things too, like the early lightsabers and how they had, they were, there was like hit packs <laughs> with yep. power that went up to the saber hilt and everything else. Like it wasn't just a hilt that you walked around and boom, it ignited like you, it needed a power source and everything else. So like, that was really cool. Um, one of the things I found out, which I found this really interesting was that Tom Beach had, as early as 1988 had envisioned a comic series, which revolved around ancient Jedi and their stories. So he was marinating on this idea for a long time, uh, before he finally mm. got to write it. So you figure he was thinking about this in 88 and he did not finally get to write it probably till like 92. Uh, cause you figured like it came out in 93. So he's probably writing it in 92, 93. um, so
2: I'd be curious to hear like an interview or uh you know like just a behind the scenes finding out like how that all came about because yeah. the comic industry at that time is so different than it is now. Yeah. And he, somebody, was Tom Beach like associated with the property besides writing comics before he wrote the comics or was he like a a notable comic writer at the time? Like how you know him coming up with the idea 4 years previous? Yeah. And then turns out he becomes the main man writing for Dark Horse Comics. Like, right. how do you get from point A to point B? I'd be curious to find out
0: about that. Yeah, it would be interesting. I don't know. Um, one of the things I found really interesting, too, was he, um, after the success of uh, Dark Empire, because, again, they weren't sure, if, you know, they, they're like, hey, let's try this Star Wars title. Um, they weren't sure, though, it was <laughs> going to be successful. And then, obviously, it, w- it was a huge success. Um, and so they were like, okay, we got to do something else. So, but Lucasfilm actually approached Tom Veach to see if he would uh, do an Indiana Jones comic after the success of Dark Empire. And it's, oh, cool. Yeah, and instead, Veach uh, pitched the idea of a comic series revolving around the Jedi in their full glory. And he wanted to originally call it the Jedi Chronicles. Uh, but... Um, this time, he was able to communicate directly to George Lucas about that idea. And Lucas loved the idea, according to what Veach said. And, uh, he gave Veach free reign to write and explore the Star Wars universe 4,000 years before A New Hope. Lucas's one condition was, uh, that Veach had to get final approval from him on the comic storyline. And Lucas also told him that uh, he had to change the name from Jedi Chronicles because it was too close to the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Oh, yeah. So that's why he (laughs) changed the name to Tales of the Jedi. Um, But I thought that was really interesting that he was offered to, like, kind of reinvigorate probably the Indiana Jones property. And he's like, no, I want to stick with Star Wars, (laughs) but here's what I want to (laughs) do. And then he got to work directly with George Lucas because of that. So...
1: Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So Veach is, Veach is still alive, and yeah. apparently he did an interview with a Spanish paper last year. Um, but that's the only thing I can find. Like, I just Googled him, and it's like, you know, maybe there'd be one hell of a way if you could figure out how to get a hold of him
0: <laughs> yeah. and talk to him. Yeah, that would be sweet. He. Um, uh, the other thing I found interesting that he did was he studied the West End Games role-playing books. Yeah, I actually have somewhere the they
1: did a, a source book for the Tales of the oh, Jedi. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. Which I haven't.
1: I don't know if it's here, or if it's in California, but but it's he, around somewhere.
0: But yeah, he he studied the original uh, b- role playing books beca- uh, for the game because he uh, wanted to make sure that what he was creating would kind of fit in with the other expanded universe type things that had been out there already. Which obviously there wasn't a whole lot at that time, but yeah. Um. Uh so yes, yeah, so I thought that was really cool and um eventually uh following the release of the initial run of Tales of the Jedi Beach was introduced to Kevin J Anderson and that's when the, there was a partnership between the two of them because uh Kevin J Anderson was writing his Jedi Academy trilogy at the time which I personally love. I know there's some haters out there for that trilogy. I that's one of my favorite uh Star Wars r- for me, it's right underneath the Timothy's on Thron trilogy. Mm-hmm. Um but he was looking for uh, a basically a bad guy to use or a source for the bad that goes on. And that's when him and Veach were talking, and Veach is like, Well, I got this character X that I'm using, and but he's from four thousand years ago, and there, you know, of course there's force ghosts and there's you know, and everything else, and they're in the Masasi temple. So you know x r Kun's spirit gets released and corrupts the uh the the jedi in the in the uh jedi academy trilogy so like again i I was reading that stuff, and I'm like, oh my God, this character who I'm reading kicking ass in this comic is now a force ghost four thousand years later you know plus- four thousand yeah. plus years later, <clears throat> so
2: I think that. It's hard not to take it for granted now that this expanded universe is so connected to yeah. each other. And because we're, because we're literally sitting on decades at this point, decades of, uh, you know, stories building on top of each other and, and stuff to pull from. Yeah. And it's probably harder and harder to come up with, with new ideas and new directions to take at the time. That they were doing this like they were just setting all the groundwork for how big this universe could be and how yeah. it could cross over generations, you know, like you're saying, connecting events from 4000 years previous to what's going on now and yeah. how that how that reconnects to the what everybody knows is the the trilogy of events and major characters. <laughs> And how it once that starts linking together, you're like, oh, my gosh, this universe is become feels so much more real and so much more ancient, you know, that that it all can connect. And at the time, like they were laying all that groundwork and I'm sure it, it could be easy to, you know, have a misstep or not keep some of that straight or contradict, you know, each other. Yeah. Initially, but they, they were pretty quick on getting people hired to just monitor the chronology and the continuity of things. Yeah. And, uh, and it's been really impressive, like that they've gone so many years, like just continuing to build and
0: continuing to build. Absolutely. Well, and then, Robert, I wanted to get your thought on this be- from your artist's perspective. They were working with the artist, uh, Chris Gossett at the time when they were starting the whole Tales of the Jedi stuff. Uh-huh. And, uh, Tom Beach and Kevin J. Anderson worked together and they said uh we would do sketches of each page with a rough mosaic of the panels and stick figures inside just to help the artist Chris Gossett. When we received pencils back, we would then make sure the dialogue fit with the images and tweak it as necessary. Sometimes we would be we would very carefully map each panel. Other times Chris would plan it himself with his artist's eye, uh especially the battle scenes and he made some particularly effective changes in how we wanted to draw the death of master Arca, which was, uh, Ulick's, you know, master and everything else. So I just, that was Kevin J. Anderson ex- describing how they kind of worked with the artist. So I didn't know if you could relate to that or have had that type of relationship where they're sending you like actual, like little stick figures of like, here's kind of what we mean, but then also sometimes taking what you're doing and, and, maybe working some of the plot around what they're seeing you have, you've provided to, to a writer. Yeah. I've, um,
2: I think with, in today's, you know, kind of industry and what's more regular is what's considered a full script where it's literally all broken down. It looks very much like a screenplay. You have the page, the page one, you know, panel one a description of what's happening and then the dialogue of who's talking yeah and so it's easy and it's it's clear and easy to see how many panels are on the page how much dialogue is in a given panel so do i need to leave room for that or um and or you know you compose your images around the information that's provided you there are still revisions and changes made after the fact but not nearly as much as before where it was more part of the process so that's more modern day process and storytelling now the style of scripting they're talking about is called the marvel style script and it's yeah. called that because of the old bullpen days of right stan lee and jack kirby and steve ditko and where stan would say this issue you know spider-man's gonna fight the vulture um two or three major plot points and then the artist would just draw it like literally they'd have a paragraph. And we're gonna draw this issue. So that's where not not to get too far derailed, but really quick, that's where like this controversy comes, you know, did Stan Lee create all these characters or did the artists have a bigger say in their character creation than Stan either gives credit for or that people give him all the credit for it when in fact it was much more a partnership back then (laughs) than it is now. Right. But at any rate, the art would come back with all the designs, the storytelling, you know, he wouldn't say even I need three pages of a fight scene. You know, that's the artist like plotting out the pacing of that story and the rhythm and the dialogue and the the dramatic beats and all that stuff. And then Stan would go in and and uh, dialogue it all out, which is why back in those Silver Age of Comics, so many of the characters are just saying like literally what's happening on the page. Like I'm going to use my mental powers to blast you across the room, you know? And it's because like Stan was just filling in dialogue to better describe what was going on. So, um, now, okay. So that, those are the two extremes. Okay. Um, I've worked on twice. I've worked on scripts when I worked on X-Men forever. And when I worked on ultimate, uh, fantastic four, Those were both what you would consider a a loose Marvel style script, where I wasn't given one paragraph for the entire issue, but I was given about one or two paragraphs per per page, and it was up to me to decide how many panels are on the page. You know, there wasn't even specific dialogue, so that made it much more difficult for me to decide the character acting, you know, facial expressions and and you know, so that's what I was like making acting choices for my characters. Are they going to play this like? Defiant or are they going to play it Sympathetic or are they going to play it um, You know uh, Like you know is it tragic You know that kind of thing I could I got a vibe of The general idea of the page But it was really up to me To make a lot of those decisions So um, uh, And the other thing is Larry Hama works strictly that way yeah. So everything that Shannon Gallant Does on Real American Hero And has for the last you know, hundred issues or however long he's been on it. It, um, he's, I mean, he's doing that month to month where he gets a, a brief description of what's happening. He breaks down all that storytelling. Yeah. And then Larry will come in. Now, Larry gives you lots of reference material and lots of information as far as like, this is the specific kind of gun or weapon or, uh, you know, battle, um, you know, positioning or something, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, and you follow that, but for the most right. part, the storytelling beats are your own. So yeah, that still happens today in modern comics. And certainly there was that kind of transition and this being mid nineties would have been fit right into that transition where people were trying different methods of storytelling. So, um, I've never had anything like plotted out where it was visually plotted for me. Okay. Um, but I've had like i i I was working on the script that larry wrote where he wanted a character holding a sword a very specific way and there was a movement with the sword he wanted done and he sent me pictures of himself doing it and he said if i can do it you better be able to draw it i was like okay Okay. sir i'll get right on that and so um you know like i there or when i was working with chuck he would sketch out and um you know, the general layout of this prison gulag where the characters were imprisoned. And so based on that little noodle sketch, like I went in and detailed it out. But, you know, so there are times like in a script you get some visual aids, which is very nice. I've yeah. never had a full script like stick figured out, but um, there are times where I've had more of a say in the character acting than others. And that's way more time consuming. It's way more challenging, but in a Creative way. So it's sure. not a bad thing, but it, you definitely feel like it's more of a partnership
0: that way. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I read that quote from Kevin J. and I was like, this would be a real good thing to bring up to Robert because I, I wanted to hear your perspective on like, uh, some things that you've faced with, you know, different partnerships and, mm-hmm. and everything else. So, um, but yeah, with, uh, Tales of the Jedi, you know, you had, uh, all these new characters being introduced, uh, you, uh, which mm-hmm. I loved. You know, Eula Kaldroma. I loved the Exar Kun. I loved Nomi Sun Sunrider. Loved all the stories that were being told. I, you know, um, and then I, I found it interesting, like kind of reading, you know, and I'm, and obviously this happens is, you know, the creators when they were doing this story, they decided to uh, jump back even further and tell. The, and that's when they told the golden age of the uh, Sith stories and everything else because they wanted to take a break from the characters that they were writing yeah. about so they didn't f- become stale to them and they didn't lose interest in them. And it worked really well because you would read these early stories of the Sith and everything else and how they rose to power and how they fell and everything else. And then all that led up to some things that happened in the Freedom and Nadd, uh uprising because you had, you learned about a character that became a prominent character in that uprising. So, um, so all of these things just played into each other really well. Um, it really did feel for a long time that uh, through the series, like this was, that this was all mapped out ahead of time, which there was, there was a loose outline of where they wanted everything to go. I will say for me, um, and Eric, I don't know how you feel, but I do feel like even though I liked redemption, redemption for me was the weakest of the whole Tales of the Jedi run. To me, it was always, it felt just like a, Hey, let's just
1: tie everything up and, and yeah. put an end, put an end on it. And that's that, which it's fine. I mean, it, it's, you know, it, it served its purpose, in my opinion, and that's and, and that's never really bothered me beyond yeah. anything. So,
0: I think a little bit for me, too, is I think the art was a lot – it was very different from what we had been seeing. I think the artist is, is different from the rest of the series, so that was a little jarring, too. Um,
1: yeah, it, from what I remember of it, it definitely felt like a – we're not going to pay a lot for this, so let's just get somebody who's not as, you know, not as top tier.
0: Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else you wanted to say with tales of the Jedi before I move on to me? I would, if you've never, I would suggest
1: if you've never read it, um, do it. Yeah. Uh, especially if you have any interest in the Jedi and what the Jedi, in my opinion, could have been. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the, the boring, uh, emotionless robots that they were in the prequel.
0: Yeah. So (laughs) no, for sure. And I totally agree. And the, um, the, the whole Tales of the Jedi thing is, is my second favorite thing in Star Horse comics. It is, it's second by, it's really close to number one though. <laughs> it's like, it's right, it's right there. Dark Empire will be number one for me, but Tales of the Jedi is right up there. Um, because it was, you know, it, it was this new expanded characters and everything like we were talking about. you you're not just going to the same well. You're, you're going to a whole new world has just opened up, but it still has the feel of what you want from star Wars. So, um, going into droids and we don't have to spend a lot of time with it, but droids, uh, there was a lot of different little one shots and mini series and everything else that came out, uh, that ran from 94 to 97. Uh, but there's the, uh, adventures, uh, which Calarba was a, a, A system, a planet system, where they had, uh, R2 and 3PO had a lot of different adventures. Um, there's Rebellion, uh, and that was, uh, most of that took place on a smuggler planet in Arshada, which is mentioned many times throughout the expanded universe. Um, it's
1: the, uh, it's a moon that, that, uh, circles uh, the hut planet, the hut main homeworld.
0: Yep and then uh there's Season of Revolt then there's a bunch of one shots there's R2's Day Out uh there's the droid special one shot uh which the droid special one shot is like just another adventure in the Klar- uh kind of tied into the Kalarba adventures uh but it was just like hey we have one more story that we want to tell and then there's yeah. the pr- protocol offensive uh which was a one shot as well And uh, like I said, all all these are they're just kind of fun adventures. They do remind me a bit of the droid cartoon, uh, except maybe.
2: That's what I was gonna say too. Is like it's it's you know more because it's not a cartoon. Like it's it's a little more detailed and it's but it definitely has that vibe. Yeah. Uh, It's more kind of I don't want to say for kids, but it's definitely more lighthearted and more like what crazy adventure are these droids gonna go on this week? Yeah. it's nothing, it takes place in this world, and it all feels like it takes place in the a, in a Star Wars world,
1: but right.
2: it, it, it's like, I don't feel like any of it had a major impact on you know, anything beyond these two droids that look familiar to you, but it could otherwise be any other sci-fi adventure, really.
0: Yeah, it, it wasn't anything that I remember where, like we were talking about before with Dark Empire and the Tales of the Jedi, where it was like, Oh, man, later on, you know, you read about X.R. Kuhn in this novel, and, like, there was nothing from the droid comics that you were just like, Oh, yeah, that character again <laughs> appears, like, eight other times, and, you know, like, yeah. no, it was just, they're, they're fun stories. Um, there's some serious moments, like, it's a little, it is a little bit more serious and a little bit more darker than the droids cartoon was from the 80s, yeah. but uh, it's not too hard to pull that off.
1: Um, yeah exactly that was just ridiculous but, but uh, I, I do think they have one of the best covers of all the the dark era era though of uh the comics with the uh, the one droid it's like i don't know like evil c3po it's like pointing a rifle on the cover at yes. like you know at, at the reader i always thought that was just a really
0: cool <laughs> yeah. image yeah that's cool that is cool <laughs> um so moving on uh another series of comics that Well, well, just as
2: kind of uh, on top of that, I will say that the covers for a lot of those books were really well done, though, and I think that was to try and probably match up with what else was on the shelves at the time because they were often very painted covers or like really well illustrated. Not the same artist that was doing the interiors, but like like Star Wars cover art at the time was always good, and even though like this definitely wasn't as all encompassing or as deep, you know, when it comes to the storytelling. The covers were still just as oh yeah well crafted and, and painted and really really nice looking.
0: Well, I remember the, the one that always sticks out in my head is the Rebellion cover uh, for number one of Re- the droids Rebellion where you got 3PO looking all serious with like his fists up in the air and you got all these droids flying up behind <laughs> him and everything like it looked intense like you're just like is 3PO actually going to kick some butt or like what's going on here so yeah.
1: um,
0: uh, like, uh, I was saying though there's uh, another series of uh, essentially one shots that came out uh, related to Jabba the Hutt which I thought this was kind of a gutsy move because like yeah you're taking a little bit of a risk with with the droids but it's R2 and 3PO people you know that like the movies will go oh R2 and 3PO pick it up but to base a bunch of one shots on Jabba the Hut,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the action adventures of hero right. Jabba, right?
0: <laughs> like this isn't a guy that like is gonna scream like swashbuckling, you know? Like yeah, yeah. Uh, and I love Jabba the Hutt. I mean, again, Return of the Jedi, the whole Jabba's <laughs> palace stuff is like my favorite stuff in all of Star Wars. But. Um, but you, basically what you're facing with this, which I think it's a pretty good analogy, although this character can be, uh, a little bit more action oriented, is you're really dealing with like a kingpin type character.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: You know, it's all about him. I mean, the collected edition is, of all these stories is called the art of the deal. So it is really about him making these <laughs> deals and, you know, uh, making things work for him. And, and the thing I did like about these stories was it, because obviously we didn't have a whole lot of development of Jabba the Hutt in the movies, you know, we, we, right. saw, we saw him and then he died, you know. Um, <laughs> so this kind of really fleshed out, like, how he became this smuggler boss guy that uh, that was known across the galaxy and everything else. So, um, but you have uh, the Gar Sapoon hit. You have The Hunger of Princess Nampi, uh, The Dynasty Trap, and then you have Betrayal uh, that were all the different one-shots that came out. Um, the one that's interesting to me was with The Dynasty Trap because obviously the writers had no idea that prequels were going to come out or Clone Wars or any of that type of stuff. But in Dynasty Trap, um, Jabba says that he doesn't have any family and he doesn't have any offspring. Uh, but obviously, later on in the Clone Wars, uh, yeah, the, there's the uh, the Clone Wars movie. He has a son named Radda, and fans have basically they said fans have kind of explained this in a sense because these were still stories. This was before Disney took over, so right. Um, so they were like uh, possible retcon explanations were uh, that Radda died. So Jabba just at that point had said, like, I don't have any offspring. Um or was disowned at some point during the years, or that Jabba the Hutt just lied. <laughs> Which to well, make
2: true too, yeah. Yeah.
0: to, to it's entirely possible. <laughs> absolutely. He's not exactly the good guy. So I think I think Rada
1: was just in his room listening to music and being moody and as like a teenager or something. <laughs>
2: And He just like decided not to acknowledge him at the time. Yeah,
1: he's just like, oh, just ignore him. Yeah, it's a phase; he'll grow. He's out. like, oh, oh, oh.
0: So, uh, and I've read the the Jabba the Hutt ones. I it's been years since I've read them because I mean they're good, they're they're fine, but again, it's like you're, when I think Star Wars, I don't go, "Ooh, let me go grab those Jabba the Hut issues." <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, There's a lot of
1: these Dark Horse comics that nobody thinks about anymore.
0: No. We're about to talk about another one of them, which, uh, uh, Eric, I'm in the same boat as you with this one, which is River of Chaos, uh, which came out in 1995. I have the issues. I know I've read the issues. I only remember the cover to the first one, and and that's about all I remember. and <laughs> the same thing. I don't know if
1: I, I don't know if I own them. I don't know if I've read them. I just know I see that cover and I'm like, I know I've seen that one before. Yeah. And I also it may have also been the Star Wars uh Galaxy cards okay. that they released in uh I think series 1 was like 92 or 93. I th- one of the series I think may have had because I know they always had like comic cover cards and uh, it may have been that's maybe where I know it from. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> I just don't know.
0: I know I have these issues because I thought I owned the issues and I wanted to get them signed by the writer of it. And the writer of it is actually Louise Simonson. Oh, wow. Um, hmm. So I was like, oh, I want to get her to sign these. And I couldn't find them. And I was like, maybe I don't own them. And I went through my whole collection and sure enough, I didn't own them. So I did end up getting them so that I could add them to my collection. Um, and like I said, when I got them, of course, I sat down and read them. But... Yeah, I don't remember anything about him. <laughs> so, um, so not the most memorable thing. I, I will tell you, and I don't know if this will jar any memory for you at all or not, but I do have the publisher's description of the story it is several months after the destruction of the Death Star, Emperor Palpatine sends an Imperial pilot to spy on the governor of a distant planet, Mahali. Uh, although Palpatine knows of certain rebel activity on Mahali, he does not know of the presence of one particular rebel, Princess Leia Organa. Can Leia undermine the enemy from within, or is she doomed to drown in a river of chaos? Hence the name. Uh, this groundbreaking four-issue—not that groundbreaking—four-issue uh, <laughs> series takes readers behind enemy lines to see the rebellion through the eyes of an officer of the Empire.
1: It sounds to me like almost every other issue of Princess Leia's over
0: here. Yeah. Um, but yeah it this will be one of those ones where because i don't remember it i will go find the issues and probably read it again um just because i i like to go back and read things that i don't recall what it was about um it could be because it wasn't memorable but i'm like yeah it's louis simon's and i feel like the story at least is probably pretty good so um and it takes place during the the uh, you know, the Rebellion. And, stuff. and that was a thing, too, that I liked that Dark Horse did, and and we run into it a lot more, is they didn't just stay with one time period, which I feel like Marvel's doing that a little too much right now. I want to see Marvel branch out a bit more. Uh, but they're kind of staying in that pocket of the movies. Um
1: Wait, for, for good reason, honestly, I think. Oh, yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> um, well, because I think
1: they're in a position where they don't want to write something and then and, and then put then themselves in a
0: corner. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure.
2: Well, I think it's. I mean, Dark Horse had a freedom to explore an expanded universe because, to be honest, there wasn't anything going on. There was no talks of with Star Wars. Or anything. Yeah, it was just it was just an open universe to explore. Whereas now, because there's regular movies coming out, there's new projects coming out. Anything Marvel puts out as a comic is going to create speculation that yeah. was well, there. They're going to you know go this way in the movies and all this yeah. kind of stuff and.
0: Are they even just do moving about a certain character? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. exactly. And then uh the Thrawn trilogy came out in from ninety five to ninety eight, the comic version of it. Uh right. so it was uh Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising, and The Last Command. It took place nine years after the Battle of Yavin. And uh Introduce a whole bunch of characters uh, that are still beloved to this day. In fact, the big one that came out of it was Grand, Grand Admiral Thrawn. Who, Who's
1: canon, yay! Who is now
0: canon again. Uh, he's no longer yes. just in the Legends.
2: He made it back.
0: Yes. <laughs> and I will say there's other characters from this that I would love to see become canon again as well. I would love if Mara Jade became canon. I don't need her to become the wife of Luke. Yeah. I would just like to see Mara Jade become canon again somewhere. Um Same thing with Talon Card. Uh, I think he was a cool character. Uh, so uh we will definitely cover the Thrawn trilogy in the future. It is my favorite of all the novels. Again, I realize it's the first one I read, but I know people that read them after, like, years later, and it's their favorite, too. So...
2: Yeah, I read them out of order and I read it years later. Yeah. And it's, I mean, for many, many reasons, it's one of the best. Yeah. And I think for many people, it is the best, the yeah. favorite at least. So yeah, I think we can, we'll talk about the comics, uh, but we'll talk about the books first because the novels are obviously just that much more expansive and yeah. they dive into character and allow so many more, uh, scenes, you know, you know yeah. obviously are in the novels. So we'll talk about that and then we'll touch on the comics after we've explored the novels and just kind of see like say either how well they adapted it or yeah. do or visually do they stack up to what maybe what we pictured in our minds or yeah. one of the interesting things I think about that trilogy in the comics is that each of the novelizations that each uh, trade was drawn by a different artist and so yeah. I'm, I'm interested like why that choice and yeah. you know of the artists they choose it introduced me to a few different artists because of that who've become like one of my favorites and so there's there's definitely stuff to talk about in the comics, but I I, I hands down wanna go over the novels first just to introduce the characters and talk yeah. about why we like it so much.
0: And I think it is a good idea and it definitely deserves uh going book by book with that one. Um Yeah. And uh, and I've read all the books. Uh, I'll probably it, once I know that we're gonna do those, I'll probably go back and at least start rereading them. Uh, have but, you by chance
1: read the annotated 20th anniversary version of uh, *Heir to the Empire*? Uh,
0: I don't think I have. Oh, because interesting. Because
1: they it, they put it out a couple of years ago. Um, well, it's probably <laughs> five or six years ago now. Um, but the uh, it's a it's an like it's basically. It's just a reprinting of the book, but there's a lot of like liner notes in the, the uh, basically uh, uh Timothy Zahn making little comments about, you know, this, that and the other thing. And it's a really fascinating read. Yeah. Uh, if you just, you know, if you're just reading it for the information purposes of that, plus it's still the normal book on top of it. So you could ignore the notes if you want to. But, yeah.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, that's something I would, I'll definitely look for then. Cause, uh, and it's just, there's so much richness to these, the story. So like, like you said, Robert, we'll, we'll definitely delve into them. Um, I actually, this was my first book on tape I ever listened to was Heir to the Empire. Um, so I read the novel and then I got the book on tape. And I thought, oh, I can just follow along with the book on tape with the book. And no, they <laughs> they, they cut some stuff out.
2: <laughs> yeah, it was an abridged version. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, but they, the thing they did do is they did put like R2-D2 noises in there and right, that's true. music and all that. Type when you stuff. hear the R2-D2 beep, turn the page. <laughs> right, turn exactly. Page. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> beep, boop. boop. So uh so yeah, we'll definitely give the Thrawn trilogy <laughs> its its due. Um and this is the stuff I'm excited to get back to. I, I think that a little bit even though I was love us I loved us doing the novels, I think that was one of the things that kinda started dragging for me was the fact that I'm like, I really want to cover these novels. Yeah. But we're not gonna get to them for a very long time. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: It just I think wasn't maybe, that- maybe what you guys should do is
1: just go and read would have considered like the the, big ones. the I would the big ones the important ones yeah I guess stuff like that yeah so um,
0: the ones we're excited to read um, <laughs>
2: so, yeah.
0: I'm eventually gonna read all of them but uh, but yeah, yeah there's I own all of them I might as well read all of them there's <laughs> too many that are absolute garbage yeah alright. I can still, I've, I've read ones that people have said are garbage and I'm like, yeah, I can still get something out of it, but I, I will, I will steer people away from, at least out of all the ones I've read, the one that I like the least is the uh, courtship of Princess Leia. That was the,
1: I know we're off topic, but that was the first one, like when they, when after the Thrawn trilogy started and they started putting out books on a regular basis, that was the first one that I was like, I, everyone that had come on, Truce and all the rest up to that point, I had read every single one of them. As soon as they came out, And that when I started reading, I'm like, now I'm done.
0: <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. I, I got, know, I'm not sure why. I got through all of it, but I was like, Ooh, um, I'm hoping the next one's going to be better. <laughs> um, so now going into the Boba Fett, uh, there was from 95 to 97. These are issues that came out from 95 to 97. There are later Boa Fett issues. We'll cover those at a later time. Uh, but the ones here are the Bounty of Barcuda, uh, When the Fat Lady Swings, Murder Most Foul, and then Twin Engines of Destruction. And then there was also a half issue, uh, called Salvage, which came in Wizard magazine. <laughs> Uh, so these were all ones that came out between 95 and 97. They have all been collected. Um, it was interesting with the Boba Fett ones versus the Jabba the Hutt ones because the Jabba the Hutt ones were individual issues also, but they were labeled as like individual issues. The Boba Fett ones started off with the Bounty of Barcuda was labeled number one when the Fat Lady Swings was labeled number two and Murder Most Foul was labeled number three. But they were all separate stories, so it wasn't like they were a continuation of each other. Um, and then it mm. wasn't until Twin Engines of Destruction came out that they just named it Twin Engines of Destruction. There was no numbering to it or anything like that. So uh, I found that interesting. Um, of all of these, I think uh, one of my favorites to this day is still Twin Engines of Destruction. Uh, because there's basically there's someone out there impersonating Boba Fett and Boba Fett gets wind of that. And so you can imagine how that goes. Um, and they've actually done action figures for that particular story. Um, so that, that's my personal favorite one out of all of them. If you ever want to pick one up. Um, again, I mentioned earlier, like these were drawn by Cam Kennedy. Uh, so. Uh, the bounty of Barcuda. At least the first three ones. I think Twin engine of Destruction was drawn by somebody else. I can't remember though. Um, but so to me, again, it was just like this was just a continuation of the Star Wars stuff and everything. So, um, yeah, it definitely gives you a perspective of like because we didn't really get to see it much in the movies. Uh, and people always ask, of course, like, is why does everyone think Boba Fett's a badass when? He really doesn't do much in the movies at all, and it's like, well, read some of the expanded yeah, universe you, stuff.
2: Yeah, if you read these, like, it's like he just is just too awesome for words. I mean, yeah. he's like, uh, he's, I mean, there's a reason why everybody loves Snake Eyes and GI Joe. It's like there's when you see them in action, you see what makes them stand out, and yeah. the same thing with Boba Fett. Like, he's built up this reputation over years and years to the point where at the movies, like, people are like. Boba Fett, Boba Fett. Yeah. You know, what I mean? like, <laughs> like there's a reason that's the reaction. Right. Uh, but, and the what I love about the comics is it gives you that opportunity to explore that. And man, and these these issues, he is just kicking butt and taking names the yeah. whole time. Yeah, <laughs> it's absolutely. So good.
0: Absolutely. Um, and then uh, anything else that you guys wanted to say about the Boba Fett ones or he sucks. <laughs> No, he does not. Suck. I, I like Bo- I like Boba. I
1: I can't, I don't like the character and I'm, I'm going to admit it I'm also not big on mandos. And <laughs> I think the problem is I because love the
0: Mandalorians. The
1: <laughs> fandom around Boba started because of his armor. Yes, he looks cool. Sure. I'm not going to deny that. Sure. But I just I mean like I don't know. Just never mind. I, I just I think, don't like the character. I think he gets, I think he has this weird cult following that I don't understand because he's a bitch in the movies.
0: He is. He doesn't do anything. I, I don't think he was as much of a bitch in Empire, but he does become that in Return of the Jedi. Yeah.
1: It's um, just like okay, you're dead. I'm okay, there you go. Yeah. What'd you what did you do?
0: But I, I don't I just
1: I don't know. There's just something about him I've always
0: And I think what works for him is because like I said, in Empire he's just he's that mystery character that just seems like the guy you don't mess with and since empire is most people's favorite of all the star wars movies like that's where they get that love for boba fett and yes it is because of the armor and everything else but for me personally i've grown to love the character i was not a huge fan boba fett fan growing up i mean i liked the action figure and stuff like that it was because again cool armor but I became a fan of Boba Fett because of the Expanded Universe stuff, and I became a fan of the Mandalorians because of the Expanded Universe stuff, because they really kind of fleshed out this culture that reminded me a lot of real-world-type real, real world type cultures. And well,
1: stuff see, the like problem that, is, so. to me, the Mandos, the culture, is not interesting. It's a warrior culture. They're, they're Star Wars Klingons. That's exactly <laughs> what they are.
0: See, and I, I am—I almost pick up like more of a, almost like a Native American type culture. Uh, yes and some, no. Some Native American culture.
1: They're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're a pure. They're supposed to be a pure warrior culture. Yeah. Who? Okay, fine. But that you know, and it makes them one-dimensional, in my opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: So, and that's—I don't know. I just—I just don't. I mean, I find them more interesting than the Jedi. <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> the Jedi are are just are so boring. No, I mean, they're not. Powers? Yes, they are. No. The prequels neutered them.
0: <laughs> you're just you're just a lover of of like the pilots and the troopers and stuff like that, and it makes you jaded towards everything else.
1: No. <laughs> I, was, I was not jaded towards the Jedi until the prequels, and then I'm just like, God, they're so they're they're just not interesting.
0: So well, hopefully, you can do. hopefully the new movies will help you with that. So um. well, yeah. Um, but, uh, so going into Splinter of the Mind's Eye, which is, uh, it was a comic adaptation. This came out in 95 to 96. It was another comic adaptation based on a novel. However, this novel was the very first expanded universe novel. Uh, it came out in 1978 and it was written by Alan Dean Foster. Uh, it took place two years after the Battle of Yavin, uh The premise behind it was uh, Stranded on a jungle planet Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia find them, Found themselves desperately racing uh, Imperial stormtroopers To claim a gem that had mysterious Powers over the force Luke Skywalker expected uh, Trouble when he volunteered uh, To follow Princess Leia On her mission to Cir- uh, Circa- Circarpus uh, Probably totally butchering That name uh, to enlist their rebel underground in the battle against the Empire. But the farm boy from Tatooine hadn't counted on the unscheduled landing in the swamplands of Mimban. Uh, hadn't counted on any of the things that they would find on that strange planet. Uh, so hidden on the planet was the Kyber Crystal, which, if you watch Rogue One... <laughs> Kyber crystals were referenced in Rogue One. I know kyber crystals have been referenced <clears throat> in other yeah. places as well, but I found that really interesting that they were brought up this early and I know they were also brought up in the if I remember right they were brought up in the original novel too, weren't they? For A New Hope in some respect.
2: I don't know. I haven't read that novelization in a long long
1: time. Yeah, it, um it, it's they're probably mentioned in there somewhere cuz yeah. the novelization's pretty uh, different enough
0: yeah um i'm i'm pretty sure that there they were mentioned in there now here's the thing that i found really really interesting the reason i even wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the splinter of the mind's eye um even though it's a novel and this was just an expanded com- uh, adaptation of it uh comic adaptation was um according to an interview with alan dean foster uh, in Empire magazine the novel had been written to be filmed as a low budget sequel as a fallback plan in case star wars hadn't been a huge success uh, Right
2: like like there's in the um in the comic in the introduction Alan Foster d- writes like a like an introduction or whatever a, yeah. a prologue and he talks about like that he had a conversation with George Lucas like as he was kind of there, walking through at the time where everything was housed, you know, all the the, the model kits and the backgrounds and the models and things, um, showing him all of these, you know, like beach ball sized Death Star <laughs> and yeah. um, the new co- computer controlled camera setup and stuff of the Tie Fighters like twirling and spinning and everything. He's looking at all this and and he's kind of showing him off, and he's like this is before the movie came out. Like it was basically filmed and ready to come out. And he, he was, George was asking him to start working on a novelization, you know, that would continue the series. And he was like, you know, if this movie is a big hit, a big success, you know, what do you want to do? And he said, uh, you know, George Lucas was like, I want to be able to make a lot of small experimental films. (laughs) That didn't, that didn't happen. No. So, um, so it's like they, they had no idea that Star Wars would be huge. So thinking right. ahead, you know, George wanted him to, or, you know, if they were going to make uh, another movie, um, he wanted to continue the characters that would be on an even smaller scale. So, you know, they want to utilize props and backgrounds and and stuff that they could pull from the first movie yeah. uh, just for, to reduce costs if necessary. So he says, like, for example, this story takes place on like, a fog shrouded planet which yep. cuts down on the need for expensive background yeah that's what you were saying
0: he's was like yeah the there's a reason why he was mentioning the fog it was because it, it helped with it being low budget um <laughs> uh, harrison ford was not signed for any type of sequel at the time yeah, so that's so why in the story it's just luke and leia yeah yeah
2: and so. he said it, it was interesting too because he said like in hindsight you know, you understand the relationship now as brother and sister. At the time nobody knew that. No. You know what I mean? That wasn't explored at all. So
0: That was one, one of the problems kind of- too. There's like some sexual tension going on there and
2: <laughs> So it is a little weird, but at the same time they're kinda of like squabbling kind of back and forth, you know, like you know, siblings would do as well. So it's an interesting way to explore these two characters and their relationship with each other before they really do. Yeah. No, but, but it, it definitely pushes that, (laughs) that weirdness factor, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, and then there's like inconsistencies with it in the actual novelization with the, the one movie that came out, like Darth Vader's lightsaber is described as being blue. Um, (laughs) R2, D2 is referred to as a D2 unit, even though in the movies referred to as an R2 unit. Um, in the novel, Vader says that he had a difficult time discovering that Luke, uh, shut up his TIE fighter, where in the film it was the Millennium Falcon that had any type of, uh, that hit Vader's wingman that spun into Vader's TIE fighter. So, um, so there was all those types of things. So, like, you, and you mentioning, like, that he didn't have a lot to work with, like, he kind of just had to make it, go along with uh, what he did um, in the novel uh, in 78 C3PO mm-hmm. mentions that Darth Vader knows all the proper code words and commands to shut him down. Uh, this eventually re- received an explanation as it was revealed in star Wars episode one, the Phantom Menace that Vader himself as a young Anakin Skywalker built 3PO. Right.
2: Um,
0: so that was, I thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> Uh, that it kind of works into that a little bit. Um, but then this brings the explanation, that explanation question when Bail Organa, uh, orders 3 people's mind to be wiped. So it's like, okay, Vader's the one that knows the codes, but then how were they able to wipe his mind if Vader's the only one that knows the codes? So, yeah. So there was just, there was a lot of things that he had working against him. Uh, the hindsight stuff, of course, but even just not knowing a lot of what was going to happen in the movie. And then he has to write a sequel that was going to possibly, I just thought it was really interesting that this, the plan was that this might become a low budget movie. (laughs) I thought that was really (laughs) cool. Yeah.
2: Just to try, yeah, try and keep, you know, in general sets and backgrounds more low, low key and smaller scale. stuff. I think, um, when it comes to the comic adaptation of it the comic came out in what 96
0: uh, came out in uh, na- between 95 and 96 yeah yeah
2: so the idea is that this would this kind of fits right in between a new hope and empire um, is you kind of time wise where it all sits the the artwork in it so it's it was adapted from the novelization by right. Terry Austin is the writer and Chris Sprouse was the artist. Um, Terry Austin has done quite a bit of stuff in the comics, you know, since the mid 80s and yep. through the 90s. He worked a lot on X Men books and a few other, um, a lot of stuff for DC. Um, and he's not my favorite writer by any means. He, he's
0: not a lot of people's favorite writer.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, it's, yeah. He would, he would like, people would hire him in to, to, do his take on this big property like X-Men or whatever. And I just think it was just horrible. Yeah, Like he would, he would try to do a new thing, which that's admirable, but his new thing would take characters away from what makes them who they are. And right. it just becomes frustrating for anybody reading the book. You know, it's like too far of a departure where characters aren't acting like themselves anymore. But
0: he was the Michael Bay of comics.
2: For the most part. It was <laughs> really, nobody liked it. The, uh, but the art in this is by Chris Sprouse, who I absolutely love his stuff. He's, yeah, he's probably really well known for his work on Tom Strong with the ABC comics and and um. Oh yeah. I mean, he's done lots of Marvel and DC stuff over the years as well. But uh, all of his figures like always look incredibly solid, so consistent. And then he also has a really he does a great job of only adding as much detail as he needs. And he's he's become even more so like as his career has gone on. This is I mean, yeah. this is a comic book that was from twenty-one years ago. So yeah. like his his work has developed and matured even since that this, but um for you, this being early on in his career, like everything is just so solid and fun to look yeah. at. And it's uh it's so I would say the art in it really holds up. Yeah. Um and is a very different look than anything we've seen before you know, from from the Star Wars comics up to yep. this point. So,
0: well, and the nice thing with it too was it it because they were doing the comic adaptation, all some of those inconsistencies that I was just mentioning earlier, they were able to clean up some of that a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this, you know, like they made Darth Darth Vader's lightsaber red instead right. of blue. Like it was, um, you know, they're making the comic nearly 20 years after the book was written right. so it's like they got, you know, and at this point they have all the infrastructure of people checking and double checking canon that kind of thing
0: Yeah, and I saw, I just saw because um, I looked up, was looking up Chris Sprouse's artwork for Star Wars and someone po- posted a picture that they have which is uh, they have an original art page and then they have the comic that the page came from and then the page underneath it or like right next to it and the original art page, you know, it's the black and white inks and everything else. And it looks just gorgeous. Like you said, his artwork is just really top notch.
2: It's just really, really solid. Yeah, And it's 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 a modern take on, you know, it, it feels like it could be printed in any comic today. It's like he has one of those kind of timeless type styles that yeah. uh, feels like it fits in whatever, you know, era that it's being printed. So yeah. Yeah. He, he didn't fall into that. 90s trap of over rendering everything with cross hatching and right. horrible anatomy. Like, right, it was solid from the beginning, so it still holds up.
0: Yeah, all right. And then, last but not least, uh, I know Eric this is definitely one of your favorites. Uh, I certainly enjoy it. And, and talking about something that really does cross over with the novels and, and everything else, uh, we have the X Wing Rogue Squadron series, which, uh, Started in 1995, ended in 1998, and it really started off as just, uh, a mini-series. Again, kind of like Dark Empire, I don't think they were necessarily expecting it to be an a ongoing type series, and it really wasn't treated that way, but in a sense it was. It, but it started off with just like a few issues. And it's sold really well. And I actually remember seeing the very first issue in a comic shop and I didn't buy it. I don't know why I didn't at the time. I own it now, but, uh, but I remember seeing it in a comic shop and just being very puzzled by, it. I don't know why, but I just like looked at it and went, oh, they did a comic. They did a comic on the X-Wings. Like, you know, is it Wedge? Like what's going on? I don't, I didn't. It boggled my mind so much I didn't buy the issue. I don't know why, but <laughs> <laughs> what is this? What is this? I don't understand yeah. <laughs> this. Um, well, I, so yeah,
1: I, I remember it being like advertised in Wizard magazine for I to say months. Yeah. Before in episode or episode <laughs> issue one came out, uh, so I mean I was Wedge being my favorite character. I was like, woo! Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, it, to me, I, I think it tells you the popularity, maybe not just Wedge, but the idea of the X-Wing pilots in general, when oh, yeah. you have, what, eight books, seven books? Yeah. And then, uh, you know, almost, you know, one of the longest running, you know, uh, well, what the hell, uh, my brain just, I'm so tired right now. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, you actually have nine books because there's, uh, there's Rebel Opposition, which was just really the beginning miniseries. Uh, but then you have Phantom Affair, Battleground Tatooine, Warrior Princess, Requiem of, for a Rogue, uh, In Empire Service, Family Ties, Masquerade, and then it ends with Mandatory Retirement. Yeah.
1: Uh, no, I meant the actual books by Anderson oh, gotcha. uh, and Aaron Alston. Gotcha. Um, but, it, you know, because they did the same thing, you know, they did the same thing they did with Tales of the Jedi, where there might have been a singular numbering system, but it was split up into those smaller... You know story arc chunks, yeah. But you also, I, you know, between the books and the comics, you also had the introduction of, you know, characters that people, you know, Hobby uh, and and uh, Taicho and Baron Fell, yeah. Who, you know, who who would have ever thought you'd have the idea of an Imperial Ace, yeah. You know, the Imperial equivalent of Wedge, yeah. Basically,
0: yeah. Um, uh, Coran Horn and yeah, you know,
1: like well, I uh, Corn may have been introduced. Separate. I think he was introduced outside originally of it, but he became a big part of it. Right. Um. But uh, yeah. It just it's such a a fascinating, you know, idea of hey, look, we can take, you know, they're not just pilots. They're you know they might be the best pilots, but they also are special force special forces soldiers. Yeah. So they're capable of doing a lot of stuff, and they killed off characters, and they brought new ones in, and you know. I don't know what the total numbers of of characters that they killed that were pilots, but it was a pretty decent number.
0: Yeah. And the other thing I I loved with it, too, was much like the Tales of the Jedi stuff that we were talking about in Dark Empire, was you had authors that came in and told these stories, and then they went and also told some of the actual novels as well. So you had uh, Michael Stackpole, who, who came in, and he did the Warrior Princess and uh this was, I thought this was interesting. He based that story on the myth of Anastasia. So like the real world myth, he was like, well, let me take the ideas of that story and put it into this story. And
1: oh, I can see that. Now that you mentioned that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, um, and, and that, like that story itself was an interesting concept because we had always seen, you know, the human pilots and they all came from the same places and stuff like that. And this was a pilot that came from a different place. And, um, they also,
1: and I think about it, they made a lot Hasbro made multiple two packs. Oh yeah. Uh, of action figures from the series too. Yeah, they did. I have so, a lot of them. So, yeah, I don't know how many other book and comic series you could say, you know, maybe a fit, you know, I mean, I guess outside of the Thrawn books because Thrawn and Marriage aid and card right. and, you know, um, uh,
0: but, Later on, you did get stuff like from Tales of the Jedi. Not as many as I would like, but you did get like uh, some some figures from that, and some figures uh, I think from a couple other ones. But yeah, from the the pilot one or the the X Wing ones, you definitely got a lot of the pilots and everything. I
1: think there were two, or I mean, I think there were (laughs) three of the two packs, which also came with a comic. Yeah. And there and there may have also been a three pack that they released as well, and then a couple other guys individually. Like uh, I know. Taicho had a figure, Wedges had multiple figures. Yeah. Uh, I think Hobby had a figure. So, I I mean,
0: to me, this is
1: the most important comic series. So, (laughs)
0: that's the one I
1: worked with.
0: Yeah. No, and, and I would say if you're a fan of the X Wings and the, the space battles in the movies, you owe it to yourself to, check out these comics and then if you're enjoying the comics you need to go check out the novels as well because i i think those were overall those were well done as well um
2: i I would say it's the very first time you got a glimpse of something like rogue one you know where you're following along guys in the trenches it's not about those marquee jedi it's not about the big sith you know mysticism you know focus things it's like these guys were like you know, putting themselves on the line and on the front line of pushing the rebellion through. And, um, and you get it from their perspective too, which is really pretty awesome. You know, it's not guys relying on super powered abilities to get a job done, it's, yeah. it's just their own grit and character and relying on each other. And you, like, like Eric said, you, like, you see people die and characters you followed along with, so that you know, there just hadn't been anything in Star Wars
1: like this before. Yeah.
0: Now, Eric, are you reading at all the Poe Dameron series? I have, uh, I think the first trade. Okay. Um, it reminds me a bit of this series, so.
1: That's, I kind of what I would assume because, you know, Poe to me is basically the modern equivalent, not the modern, whatever, the, the sequel trilogy (laughs) equivalent of, of Wedge. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you know, maybe more of a combo of Wedge and Han. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You know, but still, I mean, he's, he is, if he's the resistance' best pilot. Right. You know all of that. Good well, and the stuff, thing so. that I
0: like with the Poe Dameron series, and I just recently got caught up with it, is um, it's not just all Poe. Like mm-hmm. he, it's his other pilots as well. So that's why I said it, it kind of <laughs> reminds me of this series a bit because you start learning about these other pilots as well. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I really like it. And but yeah, like you said, if this is this is a whole series that, and I got these in. Trade first, and then I got the omnibus editions and the Dark Horse put out. And just recently, huh. I got I found someone that sold the entire collection of actual single issues, so I, I got those. So,
1: yeah, I, I don't remember we were recording earlier when I told you I, I um I believe I have every single one of these issues and I bought them as they came out, yeah. Um, uh, even to the point of Wizard had special like Rogue you know, Rogue Squadron number one half yeah. cover. Like I have, I have like three versions of that somehow. <laughs> nice. Because there was there there was like a just like a standard like here's you know Dark Horse you know you know you could buy it on the shelves or whatever. Because when that was when like the number zero and the half issues were really starting oh, yeah. to become a thing. Oh yeah. And then a Wizard had like a special like here's a special you know foil cover version of it. I was like gimme gimme gimme. <laughs> nice. So. That was
2: that's how things work back
0: then, man. Yeah. Yeah. J nineties.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that is where we're gonna end things. And unless you have anything else you guys have anything else you wanted to say when it came to the X Wing uh series. Oh,
1: and then there were the video games
0: too. Oh yeah. Yeah, forgot for sure. about those. Because
1: yeah. those are also tied in with some of the same characters. Yep. <laughs> Rogue Leader, Rogue uh I forget what they I know Rogue Leader was one of them, but yeah. I don't remember the rest of them.
0: Yeah. When you had the I mean just the popularity of just the TIE versus X Wing series. Well those those but
1: those were those were PC games that predated yeah. I'm talking right. like the N sixty four game or whatever they were. Yeah. GameCubes.
0: Yeah. So we are gonna end with with that series. Uh really there you know we spent more most of the time talking about the series that we really liked out of the ones that we skipped and we didn't skip any, but we just touch briefly on the ones that yeah. were like, yeah, you don't really need to read those. <laughs> <laughs> um, next time that we, when we do part two, which won't be years from now or anything like that, um, when we do part two, we are going to just cover Shadows of the Empire, because that's the next comic series. Um, but it was based, it was a adaptation of a novel, and much like we were saying with the Thrawn ones, Shadows of the Empire deserves its own episode, because there was the book. There was the comic series adaptation. There was actually a comic sequel to it, which we'll also cover in that episode, Shadows of the Empire Evolution. Um, and then there was toys. There was a video game. There was a soundtrack. A soundtrack for a book. <laughs> yeah. So there was a lot built around Shadows of the Empire. So Part two we of going through the Dark Horse stuff, we are going to do just solely on, uh, Shadows of the Empire and then Shadows of the Empire Evolution. And, uh, we'll talk about the novel, we'll talk about the comic, we'll talk about the toys and, and everything else. Uh, and then, then we'll delve into a whole nother chunk of, uh, reading, which is, you know, you got stuff coming up like, uh, the Dark Force adaptations, which are based on video games. Uh, you have the Crimson Empire stuff. Uh, there's, just, there's a lot of good, really good stuff still to come. So, um, but yeah, like I said, stay tuned for, for part two. Um, which we're going to record tonight. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: uh, negative <laughs> ghostwriter.
0: <laughs> but, uh, Eric, I wanted to thank you again for joining us uh I couldn't imagine doing these episodes without you being here, so um was there is there anything you wanted to plug or throw out there that people should know or
1: well, if you happen to be going to the Washington washable unfortunately it's tomorrow morning, so I doubt <laughs> this will be out in time but no. the uh, <laughs> Washington national Star Wars day is uh Tomorrow and of course five oh first are going to be will be out there so I'll be rolling around my biker scout.
0: Yeah, the uh, the Indians, Cleveland Indians, actually just had their Star Wars uh, tonight and they were doing uh, fireworks and everything else with the music and all that. So
1: yeah, I I assume all that all that I know they have like a uh, a Chewbacca koozie that they're they're giving away. So nice, nice. but other than that, I mean, I don't know. I'm finally on Twitter, but I'm just a lurker, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> <laughs> and, Robert, how can
0: they find your stuff?
2: Uh, mostly just by searching Robert Atkins Art, um, either kind of through Google, Facebook. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, that keeps it pretty simple. Um, I have a, uh, a personal Facebook page. that's just Robert Atkins where I do post some things. But for the most part, if you want to look at my work and get an idea of what I do, uh, I, I post on Robert Atkins Art um, as a Facebook group page that, that links to my Instagram account. So that's where you're going to get the most updates. Um, as far as work, um, you know, kind of where to find my stuff. Like I said, it's it, most recent stuff's been backups in Hasbro Heroes books for IDW, which is like their handbook or source book for Hasbro-related characters. Uh, I've been doing a, a number of covers for... Uh, uh, Xenoscope, um, not the, not the pinup stuff, but <laughs> like there <laughs> other kinds of covers. Um, and then, uh, it's, it's still stuff with IDW. So, um, no huge projects on the, uh, kind of on the horizon, but, so I've been talking with publishers and kind of lining stuff up for cool. that. So we'll see. Yeah.
0: Well, as soon as you know you have stuff, obviously you have a, uh, welcome forum here that's
2: easy. <clears throat> oh, I, to I will, I will is, say real quick. Yeah. Real quick, I do want to plug my brother Brian. Uh, has been doing a Kickstarter uh, for kind of a his own personal project with a friend of his called Final Street, which is a uh, a fun kind of comic homage to the old beat 'em up side-scrolling video games like Double Dragon and nice. Final Fight and 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 the first Street Fighter that kind of stuff. So it's the artwork he's doing for it is some of the best art I've seen him do. It, it's clear he loves it, and um, the story that I've read so far it's just really fun. It's not it's not meant for deep thinking. It's just really uh, just poking fun at and, and in a loving way those old silly video games. But it's right. a lot of, it's a lot of fun. So they got the first issue funded, cool. um, and I think they've got just a few days left, maybe a week left on the Kickstarter. So anything extra they make is going to help ensure that they can get the second issue done as well. And, um, so take a look at that. It's called final street, uh, on Kickstarter and there's links to it on my Facebook page. Cool. A
0: few things to mention for us, uh, as far as the star Joe's show, you can find us at starjoes.com. You can find us on Facebook. There's a group page and a fan page. Uh, been having fun posting comic covers every day, uh, both Star Joes related and this 1980s covers related. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's been contributing stuff all the time, which has been awesome. Um, you can find us on Twitter. It's at Star Joes Podcast. Uh, if you want to follow what I'm reading and what I think of what I'm reading, uh, you can follow Star Joes on Instagram. Uh, I post a comic cover and I give a brief review and a rating for it. Um, and that's been growing a lot. Uh, YouTube is coming back. Uh, I've been away from it for a while. Uh, just kind of re-evaluating how I'm going to be doing stuff. Uh, but that will be coming out soon. Uh, I actually have a free comic book day, uh, recap episode video that will be coming out soon, uh, along with covering, uh, one of the issues that came out on free comic book day. Uh, I'm going to be doing an unboxing video, uh, which is the smuggler's bounty box, uh, so definitely related to the show and, uh, it's the 40th anniversary box. So I'm going to do that. And then once I have the video done and released, I'm going to actually reach out to them, see if maybe they might sponsor us. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I think it's definitely something related to the show and I really like the boxes that they, they do. Um, and uh the other thing i mentioned in the last episode which uh like i said will be out right before this one um i almost have the patreon ready to go so uh have some interesting re- rewards with that and um one of the, the only thing that's holding me back from releasing it is because i am in the process of recording a couple of things for it that will then this way if someone does contribute to the patreon there's already exclusive material ready for them. Uh, So I wanted to make sure that I had one or two episodes ready already set there for when it launches. Um, So a lot of Star Joe stuff is happening uh, and uh, I will announce the Patreon officially probably the next episode because it'll probably be up and running by that point. Um, But just wanted to mention that that's out there as well uh, and that will help me with some of the expenses I have for the show as well as the things I want to do to provide even more material on a regular basis for everybody. So, um, that
1: four months, four months until Baltimore.
0: There you go. Four months till Baltimore. I definitely, we will definitely be getting out podcast episodes more frequently because I want to build up to Baltimore being the 200th episode. So I have timelines set up for what, when I need to get podcasts out to you guys so you can hear them. Uh, that will lead right up to that. And, uh, See, I think that's about everything. We do have Star Joe's merchandise, T-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, all that fun stuff. You just go to Starjoes.com and you can find that. And uh, that's about everything that I can think of. Again, you can leave us a voicemail. You can email us at Starjoespodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Starjoespodcast. But with that, we'll go ahead and close the show by saying the Force will be with you.
2: Because knowing us is half the battle.
0: Take care, everyone.